0: Introducing the Aging Room Quattro Nicaragua JR 50th. One of the highest rated cigars in the industry is now available in a special, rounded torpedo size. Celebrate our 50th anniversary in style with this iconic limited edition smoke. Only available at jrcigars.com. Get ready for Smoke Night Live. Massassi. Never smoke
1: alone. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. We are live, Smoke Night Live. That is Jordan. Oh, that was. Clever! How'd you like that? <laughs> Loved it! I that I didn't even mean to say that it just rolled.
0: How come that's not our our intro every week?
1: Well, so wait, remind me what I said.
0: It wasn't even that good. We are live, Smoke, Smoke Night, Night live, live. That is that
1: isn't bad. Maybe that's a T-shirt. <laughs> there's a T-shirt in there somewhere. Uh, big show tonight. Uh, we got two great guests. We're gonna bring on shortly. We're gonna be talking about Jordan, the future of cigars. Now, there's been a lot of shows dedicated to the future of cigars in regard to, like, FDA regulation and government um, over-regulation and this and that. Yes. But you know what? Those shows, even though, yes, they're important, and, yes, we we do them. We did one recently, actually. They kind of make my eyes glaze over a bit.
0: Sometimes... I want to just talk about tobacco and marketing and the fun stuff.
1: Right. So tonight's show, we're going to be talking about the future of cigars in regards to the whole process from seed to smoke. Like, how are things changing in the cigar industry? And we've got two bright young stars that we're going to, uh, we're going to get their opinions on all these topics. They're going to guide us through the future of cigars. But before we get there, uh, yesterday you may have noticed a big, huge announcement on the dojo the psychedelic turtle 2 is back jordan
0: look at this more psycho ier than ever now yeah, here's here's here
1: is some bundles uh folks Ooh. uh there you go uh, the only one missing is the green one cuz we smoked it <laughs> um there is a green one too so there's five different um there's five different packages here's the green one that's as you can see empty um here's the cigar jordan i don't know if you can get a uh can really Whoa. get a
0: I thought. You, oh, so you already lit yours up? I already lit mine so up. there we go. Let's on see. my one, I'll show you now. They've all got the different colored foot ribbons. As Can't well. really tell what
1: that yeah. color is because the, the lights too, gray, too bright. But, but, anyways, here's the cool news about the turtle two. All right, so every I th- I think pretty much everybody universally liked turtle one, um, the blend. But you know, there it, it was it, it was a, a little bit of a loose draw for some folks and whatnot. And so it was a good cigar. Uh, but it had, you know, it wasn't a perfect cigar. So uh, Eric Espinoza and myself decided let's go, let's go back and let's do it right and give the turtle uh, its its due. You know, let's give it the right treatment. And so it's a completely new blend. This one has a San Andreas Maduro wrapper on it, and it's made at AJ Fernandez factory. The Espinoza boys blended something, Jordan. Oh. That I gotta say, I, I know this is gonna sound crazy, but I literally think it is one of the best Espinosa blends ever that I've ever smoked. Um, if you like a Padrone 64, it's in that same flavor realm. There's a su- it's sweet, it's spicy, chocolatey. Uh, it's not overpowering as far as strength goes. It's more on the flavor. Uh, aspect, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's it's tons of flavor, not yeah, so medium much. Medium
0: plus body, but a ton of flavor. Ton
1: of flavor, and it just burns beautifully. It's got that s- nice soft uh, turtle bo- box turtle press, and turtle so um, press. Uh, it is a gorgeous cigar, and it's absolutely delicious. We've been smoking them, Jordan, like mad in the studio. Oh, Quinn, uh, studio audience, y- I know you smoked one uh, the other night. You loved it. Give us a thumbs up. If <laughs> It Please. was. It was pretty much. He said it's pretty much incredible. <laughs> so these are going to uh, go on sale August sixth at uh, JR Cigar, eighty nine ninety five per bundle. There will be a special dojo coupon code. It's not the regular JR Cigar coupon code. There's going to be that won't work with this. It's a special coupon code it will save you ten percent. There's, um, get on the email subscription list. Yeah, make sure to get on the email subscription list. It's on CigarDojo.com if you want to make sure that you don't miss out on this turtle because this thing is, this could be one of the Dojo's best ever collaborations. It's that good. And I, I, I know I say this every time. I'm always proud when we have a collaborative cigar come out. But this one, Jordan, as soon as we tasted the sample, we were like, holy cow, like we have hit. The big time. Oh, yeah.
0: No tweaks. Just do that. Just do that. Make it.
1: Do that. Now. Take that and do it. So we've been working on this for a long time. It's got the same band as before, but like Jordan says, now they all have foot bands. And here's the one added thing. This year, there's 10 hidden tickets, golden tickets, to Palooza in the 500 bundle. So 10 lucky people will get a ticket to go to Palooza. Now, remember... That's just a ticket to enter the event. It does not not plane and hotel and all that. But you get to go to La Zona Palooza, which is pretty stinking cool. But that's not all, folks. Uh, that is not all the news that we have tonight. We just launched a, the massive Camacho contest giveaway on the dojo. There's going to be ten winners. It's, the contest starts tonight, and it runs until next Friday night, and we'll announce the ten winners. All you have to do to enter is, A, be a part of the Camp Camacho group inside Dojaverse.com. B, just respond to the post that I posted in that group. It's at the top of the page. It's stuck at the top of the page. All you have to do is respond. You can do that once a day. Don't, please don't do it more than once a day, because if you do, I'll just ignore we'll, your entries. We'll, you. we'll ban you. Now, <laughs> I won't ban you. But, and here's what the winners get. Right, I'm going to do it progressively am, amaz- more amazing. Uh, The first thing they get is this cool little um, Camacho barrel-aged punch cutter. Let's see if I can put it on sexy cam. Sexy cam.
0: We're going sexy cam.
1: You get that? It's like a punch cutter that is in the shape of a barrel. That's pretty sexy. It's pretty cool. It's heavy. It's like got some 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 girth to it. Oh. Then you get um, then you get the uh, Camacho Grill and Chill Cookbook. Every uh, recipe comes with a uh, a pairing recommendation, which is really cool.
0: And there's some uh, there's some badges kind of involved with the grill and chill theme, so this might help you out there.
1: Right. So if you're familiar with the uh, group,
0: um, anyways, uh, and then finally, <laughs> this is so sorry that was so boring for you. Gene. This is uh,
1: <laughs> this is the, the money part. Ten, every every winner will get all the things I just showed. Uh, a box of. Cigar Dojo, Camacho, Imperial Stout, Barrel-Aged. There's 10 cigars in there. We're giving away 10 of these packages. 10! So 10 people will win. So if you're already a member on the Dojoverse, all you have to do is join that group. If you're already a member of the Camacho group, all you got to do is respond to that post at the top of the page every single day once. And you are entered. Uh, It's a random... It's going to be a random pick. Random... uh, So... So have some fun with it, but it is going to be random. And um, so that's going to be a ton of fun, huh, Jordan?
0: Oh, my gosh. That's that's, that cigar is uh, that's, that's also one of my favorites that we've done. That's probably a top five. That's mm-hmm. a fantastic cigar.
1: All right, so let's get to the show tonight. Um, as I mentioned at the top of the hour, uh, we are going to be talking about the future of cigars in regard to the entire process of making cigars from seed to smoke. And even past that, because we're going to be talking—we're talking about marketing, merchandising, all that kind of stuff. But let's bring on our guests, Jordan, as we speak. We've got Terrence Riley from Agonors Leaf. Terrence, welcome to the show, my friend.
2: Thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure.
1: Well, uh, we're glad to have you. And we've got Kyle Gellis from Warped. Kyle, welcome to the show.
3: Hey guys, thanks for having me again.
1: All right, so here's the deal, you two. Um, I think by pretty much all accounts, we are in uh, some type of cigar boom. Yeah, uh, It could be um, – I, I see this kind of a boom in two ways. And you guys correct me if you think I'm off base here. There's a boom in sort of two ways. One, we have this kind of uh, purchasing boom that may have something to do with COVID. Maybe it doesn't. Um, it sort of seems like it does. You know, people were forced to stay home, so they were buying a lot more of cigars. But then there's also this boom that I've been noticing for maybe the last five years, a boom of like quality. Like nowadays, like the boom that we had in the nineties, it was just, it was just sheer. Like we just want cigars. We just want tobacco. But now it's, it's sort of like a boom in quality. Like the cigars that are coming out now may be the best cigars that have ever, uh, came out on the market in the entire history of the cigar industry as we know it. Uh, your thoughts, both of you. I'll start with Kyle. What do you think about the way I characterized this modern day boom?
3: Um, I, I think you're you, you're pretty spot on in that regard. I think that if anything, COVID actually brought more people to the fold because people were left at home, you know, kind of stuck, nothing to do, and if they were, you know, they were a cigar smoker, they were having people come to their house rather than going out. So someone who's not really you know a cigar smoker was now hanging around their friends more that were around it and they found out that they enjoyed it and then they got into it and they progressed forward so my thoughts on that is that's the correct assumption is that when you get this camaraderie thing and you get this whole thing of, of cigars and everyone coming together to share stories good times good drinks good cigars good conversation they brought the lounge to their house which was the unique part about it, is that they just made their own lounges. The only other place I've ever I've ever seen that is in Hawaii, because there's almost nowhere to smoke in Hawaii. That they would just set up tents in their driveways and have everyone come over and do the like have you know a lounge in their driveway. And that's kind of like what I believe and what I heard came through COVID. And so that's the part that I believe you know, we, we, we're seeing now is that people liked it. And now that, you know, certain States are reopening and, you know, here in Florida, obviously we've been open for a while, but, you know, everyone's coming around now to seeing like, that they want to continue with this beautiful industry. And this you know, this beautiful art form that we, we all partake in every day. And that's, that's really the, how I think that that came about right. in that regard, in terms of how everything moved forward from COVID um, in terms of like a mini boom, that goes back to the whole thing that, that I just said, and then, I mean, Terrence may have a different viewpoint on it, but, you know, we'll hear from him.
1: Yeah, Terrence, what do you think about uh, what I said as far as the quality boom? It seems like nowadays it's, a, it's much harder to pass on crappy products to consumers. They're a, a little bit more savvy. Uh, maybe it's due to the Internet, social media, the access to, you know, digital stuff and understanding the access to being able to go down to factories and take tours – what do you think of um, the, the idea that maybe it's possible that right now we're in sort of like a quality boom as far as tobacco products are concerned?
2: Yeah, I, I would call it a boon with an N rather than a boom. Oh. Uh, it's, it's for the consumer. <laughs> uh, the, the consumer has got a great selection of product. It's, it's hard to get away with, uh, you know, again, in the 90s, they were putting banana peels in cigars, and, and I don't think that really, uh, you know you know, kept too many people in the business. And so that was a big problem. I think uh, the industry has advanced so much in so many ways that the quality is much, much better. Um, So in in that regard, I think, you know, for the consumer, they've had, you know, the pick of the litter in terms of uh, of great tobacco and great great opportunities to smoke great cigars. Um, In terms of the the new people and things like that, I think there's new people, but I I think more what happened is that there's the casual cigar smoker became more dedicated. Like maybe he smoked like once a week with his buddies golfing or something. And then he was working from home and he could get it on these zooms with all these other guys smoking cigars. And then he learned about other brands. And, and uh, I think those guys really, I mean, if you, th- if you take a guy that would go to a bar on Friday, cigar bar and have you know, a cigar after work, one of two, and that was a cigar for the week. And then he works from home and he has a cigar at least every day. I mean, just think of the increase of that. So um, on that side, I think it's it, it's just uh, that that behavior has been changed for so long that it's going to be a while, um, you know, before that it, it can't be like this forever. But mm. but it's not like the 90s, like you said, where it was just simply like kind of a fad and then it went away. Now people's behavior has been changed, and and, and that's t- once you do that, it's a hard thing to do. But once you do it, it's hard to change back.
1: Right. All right. So with that in mind, boys, uh, Kyle and uh, Terrence, let's just get into. Uh, the future of cigars, and we're going to go through basically all the different the steps. The
0: future. I should add some like techno music. There. future. Yeah. Future,
1: future, yeah. future. We need. This, we like. Need yeah. yeah. I mean, future. we need
3: some better production value. <laughs> 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 um,
1: so, but what I want to do here is sort of cover at least at least the major aspects of uh, producing cigars, all the way through, um, you know, uh, dist- distributing the cigars and merchandising the cigars and stuff. But let's start. You know, at the very beginning uh, with uh, growing techniques and, uh, you know, leaf varietals, seeds, that sort of stuff. There are are several sort of uh, aspects of this, you know, idea that we can cover. Uh, One is uh, new growing regions. Like, you always imagine, like, there's got to be other cool places to grow tobacco. And we've seen some of this, you know, with CAA doing the Amazon base and stuff. We've seen some cool stuff coming out of Costa Rica. There's uh, there's always, like, you know, like the fringe stuff around Jamaica and Brazil. Um, do you guys foresee, uh, you know, uh, companies exploring new growing regions to produce maybe uh, different flavors, different styles of tobacco? Is, Is that something that will become more popular as... As we uh, head into the future, I'll start with, uh, let's start with Terrence on this one.
2: Uh, so I think they, that will happen because people need tobacco. So you need to find new places to, to grow. I, I, I would say though, that generally speaking, that that's a difficult uh, process. Um, if you look at what tobacco requires now, it's the soil. It's the, it's, it's, it's the climate And then, again, there's regions of, like, Nicaragua, for instance, where you'd be like, oh, this will be great to grow tobacco, and then it's too windy, and and it doesn't (laughs) work for that reason. So uh, it's very difficult to find the right conditions to grow really uh, high-quality tobacco. And, and, yeah, I I mean, you can implement a a leaf of this or a leaf of that from different places and and kind of add a different characteristic. But generally speaking, I think it's hard. I don't think there's some, like, Shangri-La of tobacco somewhere um, that's going to, you know, be all, all of a sudden available to people. I think it's going to be one of these things where um, the the, air, the areas that have always been productive are going to continue to be the the prime sources, and and yeah, there'll be some new areas that add something. But we're very lucky because we get to use uh, some of the best growing regions in Nicaragua and uh, some of the best farms that have been great farms for for a long time. Uh, some of the most old farms, things like that, and uh, and so that's still kind of where our bread and butter is and, and tobacco from North Korea or wherever else that they figure out, they can grow something. Um, you know, again, what the heck? I mean, it's interesting, but but I don't think generally speaking, it's going to ultimately change the industry that much.
0: Terrence, Elon Musk is going to be grilling tobacco on Mars in like 10 <laughs> years. Come on. <laughs> Everybody knows. Brian will.
2: Uh,
1: Kyle, what are your thoughts on what Terrence just said? He sort of uh, summarized it in a way where it, you know, it seems like the, the the regions that we, we get tobacco from now, other than maybe some small exceptions here or there, uh, will will remain the 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 main growing regions in the foreseeable future.
3: You know, I have to I have to agree with Terrence. Um, obviously, you know those regions have been found for a specific reason. Um, I can equate it to you know. Well, let's just go back. Number one is like, yes, people are going to explore new areas to grow tobacco because you can't find any more land to develop in Esteli and Alaba and Condega very easily. And if you can, it costs a lot of money to buy that land now comparatively to you know, 20 years ago or whenever you bought it. So they're going to look for places to grow tobacco because instead of giving it a region, if they want to market it, they can just simply market as Nicaraguan tobacco, which is you know, the tobacco to have right now so you know going around the world and trying to find tobacco is great but there's a reason that these regions have already been found to grow tobacco i can only equate it to um you know aspects of like let's say wine where burgundy has been growing you know grapes for you know hundreds of years and there's a specific reason for that they saw something very special all that time back same thing with bordeaux you know now you can equate it to places like you know oregon or washington that are trying to to find their way and prove that they can and yes you can grow tobacco you know, almost anywhere. I can grow it here in my backyard in the sand, you know, that we have a soil. You can do that. But will it be good? No. I mean, one of the and in Nicaragua, let's take for an instance, Terrence, you know, you probably know exactly what I'm talking about. On the way up to Esteli, yeah. that failed tobacco farm. Yeah. I mean, it's a disaster. They spent all this money developing this farm on the Pan American Highway and everything. And it, it just grew terrible, terrible tobacco. And they almost all but abandoned it at this point. And I remember driving by it I'm like, who's stupid enough to grow tobacco here? And someone was and it failed miserably and now it's just constantly <laughs> changing just changing hands. And that's that's the issue is, is so I agree with Terrence. I, I, I believe that the places that are already primed for it I'm not saying that you won't find a small little pocket of something along the way, but I mean for the most part though, it is what it is.
1: Yeah, I mean Jeff Borschwitz has done a nice job of uh you know, really, really given a full effort to grow tobacco in Florida. And he's Mm -hmm. been somewhat, you know, successful there, um, which is interesting. Uh, Kyle, uh, here's one that's kind of interesting to me. And I I would assume, I would think that there would already be more of this going on, but there really isn't that much, these sort of interesting hybrid tobaccos. I know like uh, AJ Fernandez has done some of this, like, Really like pushing the boundaries with genetics and stuff. You don't you don't see as much of that as I would think. But is that something that we will see more of in the future? Um, you know, neat interesting combinations uh, genetically with tobacco.
3: I mean, you you can you know we you know at Angonorsa it's different. You know when we say that you know Corojo uh, is you know Corojo ninety nine Criollo ninety eight. You know we use real sea varietal where. Because the industry doesn't have, and I'm not talking like FDA or anything like that, I'm talking like a regulatory body to actually validate the lineage of a seed, they can just call it whatever they want. So like there's seed, there's varietals out there that are literally just called something to call it that. Now, are is there an actual, you know, is that real? Probably not. You know, they get a seed from Cuba and they say, oh, it's this or that. and it's In reality, it's not. So like, you know, we spend a lot of time making sure that, you know, what we do is authentic. And that's the problem is that there's only so many specific seed varietals, but then you can get into the aspect of what can actually be grown there because it's susceptible to mold, disease, whatever the case is. So there's certain reasons that certain varieties are grown in certain parts of the world because, you know, they're not susceptible to this disease and they're not susceptible to this type of mold, you know, whatever the case may be. I mean, Terrence having more you know, in-depth and being able to have that connection with, with Angonorso a little bit deeper, um, I don't know. He could probably maybe touch on it a little bit better than I can.
1: Terrence, I, and what I'm really getting at with this question, Terrence, is is for flavor aspects, like uh, pushing the boundaries of the flavor of tobaccos. Like I sort of assumed that at this point maybe we'd see more of these. So what was that, Jordan? What was that uh, hybrid that, that AJ did um,
0: in the Bay of Sertes.
1: yeah I mean like that kind of stuff like that was a
3: really
0: That's a, a three part hybrid but and I remember the the highest I've seen is a four part hybrid right on a Quesada I, Terrence probably remembers this one
2: yeah no yeah God, I got I, it was Sumatra uh, Habano God what else was it I forget uh, I can't remember the four seed varietals it was from Ecuador they grew it in Ecuador but generally speaking though on hybrids they're growing it or as Kyle said, disease resistance yield all, you know some some hybrids ferment faster. They're not really growing it for flavor again, and I'm not talking about AJ to be very clear here. I don't know what he mm-hmm. developed there and I'm not familiar with it so like let me take that out of it. But generally speaking on hybrids, they' they're not growing it for um, for, for flavor qualities. They're growing it for other things. Like for instance, Corro 99, almost nobody grows that in Nicaragua other than us, because the yield on it isn't as good. It's more susceptible to disease. We're growing it for flavor, um, because Eduardo's in the position where he can, one, he can grow on scale. And two, he, he has, you know, uh, the, the capital to do that. Um, but generally speaking, you know, I always use the example of tomatoes at the grocery store. The tomatoes at the grocery store are there. So because they can make it to the grocery store from Florida to Ohio or wherever they're going and they don't bruise too easily. They don't ripen too fast. And that's really, and again, it's understandable because your money's always tied up in tobacco. So if you can turn that into cash quicker or, or, or more cash, um, it makes sense to, to, do, to do that. And and that's not to say you can't develop interesting varietals. Like we have a Koroho 2012 coming online soon, which is we're really excited about. Um, but generally speaking, the hybrid stuff tends to be for, for other purposes other than taste.
1: Right. But, um, and, and, and there's a very close sister question to this, and, and Kyle actually kind of touched upon this a bit in his answer. Terrence, uh, recently, you know, JRE uh, tobacco started growing Cameroon tobacco in Honduras sure. for their new Cameroon. Um, is that something that maybe we might start to see more of? Um, seeds from a certain region, now grown maybe in in Nicaragua or in Honduras or vice versa, um, you know, stuff that they don't normally grow in the DR. And Nicaraguan maybe they,
0: broadleaf recently as well. Right,
1: Nicaraguan broadleaf is another example. Uh, Terrence, do you see that as maybe an emerging thing in the, in the future, more of that?
2: Yeah, I, th- I think there'll be more of that. Um, th- again, we, they asked us to grow some broadleaf uh, in Nicaragua. Eduardo wasn't interested. He likes to stay kind of to the classic stuff. Um, but, yeah, you'll see more of that. I mean – Cameroon is ultimately a Sumatra seed, I believe. And and so it's it's basically the, the problem, again, as Kyle mentioned, is that with the, with using the names of things, it's like, well, is it Cameroon if it's not from Africa? And that's not to say it's not great flavor and everything, uh, you know, or Connecticut from Ecuador. Does that mean it's Connecticut? You know, so we, we kind of have a problem in the industry in that we use these terms and it's a little bit misleading. Um, it, But I think you'll see that. Process taking uh, a seed varietal that it grows someplace and and uh, growing it someplace else.
1: Right now, now I think uh, Kyle Terrence, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's something to do with like you know you can grow it for like seven generations before it becomes the it becomes before a it becomes like a Nicaraguan you know varietal. So you'd have to like restart with the original seed before it gets to that level but Kyle do you see that as maybe a trend that seems to be kind of catching I mean obviously this has happened for a long time Ecuador and Mm -hmm. Connecticut is a great example but I'm just noticing lately there's been some some more like you like we said with the Cameroon and Honduras with the Broadleaf and Nicaragua is this maybe a trend that we might start seeing more of Kyle
3: well I mean I believe yes because in the end we're I believe consumers and, and us as blenders and, and people who work in the industry is that we're always looking for something that could make a better experience for the consumer. So I believe that people will want that style stuff, but I be- at Angonorsa we're purists, you know, we want the real deal. We don't, we don't go around and look for the next trend of seeded viral or whatever. I mean, Terrence stepped on Eduardo is, is very specific in what he wants to do and what he wants to grow on his properties. And we appreciate that. That's obviously why we work with him, because there's consistency. We don't follow it. Like, I I was telling uh, Eduardo the other day on the phone, I'm like, I'm super excited about actually getting down there next week and actually smoking this 2012 uh, Coro because I haven't haven't had it. Like, if you look at the history of, of what we work with, it's Corojo and Criollo. You know, maybe we'll throw an Ecuadorian Habano in there or whatever, but I believe it will be a trend simply because, you know, people are always looking for the next thing. But in reality, we always tend to come back to the things that have always worked in, in the traditional aspects, you know, and, and that's kind of like where we, we stay is like we don't want to follow that, that line because it takes generations of that seed being grown in, in terms of vintages, in terms of, uh, of years to actually find out how it's going to come out and how to, you know, properly farm it and how, you know, it may require more nitrogen in the soil or, may, you know, magnesium mm-hmm. or potassium. And you only learn that over the years before it's actually what we would consider usable. So, you know, it's a little bit different for me to get on board with that because, you know, what we have at Anganorsa is, 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 is pure. Right. Yeah. And and with Kyle, just to jump on that, is that like,
2: like we have using those two seed bridles with the regions we have, like Kyle Mm. has his own unique flavor, like, and, and he's able to take our tobaccos and create a unique profile. That's, that's all him. And, uh, and again, I, I just had the pleasure of smoking the blend he made, uh, with my cousin Osos Fernandez in Dominican Republic, and you and you could taste his influence on it. You were like, okay, you know, Kyle, this is obviously a, a Kyle blend. And so, uh, for yeah, for us, it's like, yeah, yeah, it's two, it's, it's primarily two seed varietals, but there's so many options right. between the farms and the primings and and the, and everything else that that you know, why why would we want to kind of dilute that?
3: Right. Well, specifically to jump on that, like you you can work in certain lots on those farms too. You know, because they're so vast in certain aspects of those farms, like, you know, whether it's, and I'm, I'm using very general terms here, back left, back right, center, you know, you never know, like, if, if the border of your property has a bunch of palm trees that cast shade, you know, so that shaded tobacco that comes from national shade may be different from what on the back end, mm-hmm. which has no shade. So that there's, there, I mean, whenever I go to Angonorsa and I go down there and I blend, like, and Max hands me something that he's working on for himself or for, for Angonorsa, it, it's, it's completely completely different and that's the most amazing part is that like and you get that with consumers who ask that or say that all the time like well it comes from this factory and it, the, all the cigars taste the same you don't really get that with Anganorsa because we ha- the holding that that eduardo has are, is just so vast that yeah. it, it no cigar is ever the same
1: kyle I, a, a really great example of that uh as far as i'm concerned is the don Ronaldo uh from from warped uh that, that cigar is, you know, you'd think, okay, here, here comes another Aganor uh, uh product. But it's so, it, it's so refined and so it's still to this day one of my favorite cigars of all. I mean, it's literally, I think, ranked 96 on the dojo, one of the highest ranked cigars. But I don't know what you did with that p- particular blend, but you gave it something uh, unique and different. So I just I'm I'm just tooting your horn a little bit there, but um, <laughs> I, I just had to throw that in there. Uh, last question on this, uh, on this topic, uh, and I'll throw this out to both of you guys. We'll start with uh, we'll start with Kyle on this one. In the in the next ten twenty years, will Nicaragua remain sort of like king king of the hill? Will they remain the the top dogs for growing? Because right now, I mean, let's face it, Nicaragua is where you want to be growing tobacco. Mm-hmm. At least right now, they haven't always been at the you know the top. In fact, they've there was a time when they weren't anywhere on the, on the list, but now they're the top. In the next 10, 20 years, do you see that maintaining?
3: You know, that, that, that's a question I get asked a lot because, like, we have to look forward always in our industry and see, see how, you know, the, the climate will be. And also with a certain country that isn't, you know, what's happening politically with a certain country that has tobacco that everyone wants. And, you know, that would be Cuba, obviously. So, you know, we're always looking at, you know, will people, I, well, let me just answer that. Like, I believe that Nicaragua is here to stay. I believe that Nicaragua has the, it has everything it needs for the longevity to be the standard. And that's because of the farming. That's because of the people that have come over. You know, that's because of the investment that's now being made there. It's becoming the the thing. And also it's, the American pout has somewhat shifted to that. You know, whereas, you know, 20 years ago, it was to the Dominican side. But now consumers want more bolder flavor. They want uniqueness. There's that that Nicaraguan punch. But you can get the punch. You can get the sweetness that you get from Jalapa. You can get the earthiness from Condega. You can get, you know, the spice from Esteli. And it's shifting that way specifically. And do I believe that when Cuba opens up? You know, which I I, I hope it opens up in my lifetime to a point that, you know, we can we can use the material. But the forbidden fruit aspect is what drives that. I believe that it's funny, like we take the Cubans from Cuba and bring them to Nicaragua, but I need they need to go back to Cuba to actually fix Cuba. Like we need Jacinto to go. We need Jacinto to go back. (laughs) Don't give me ideas. Don't give me ideas. No, no, no. I don't want to give him an idea. I love Jacinto. I don't need him to go back anywhere. But like we need them to go back to teach them and they need the investment. They need the money to to make it special. I believe that the American palate, if if you take away the forbidden fruit aspect of Cuban tobacco, let's say, they won't like it. It, Mm. It's not, it's not what they're used to at this point. And Cuba can't even keep up with its own self. So I believe that Nicaragua obviously is king now. I believe that Nicaragua will still continue to be king, which is why we stay in Nicaragua. We're very invested in Nicaragua. We're very invested with, with Anganorsa. And, you know, because I see what, what they're doing there in terms of their farms and their leaf and then their fermentation, and their processing. And there's a specific reason that, you know, you have that signature flavor of Anganorsa. And yeah. that's because they know how to work the land.
1: What do you think about that, Terrence? Uh, Nicaragua will it remain uh, the place to be for the next 10, 20 years, or foreseeable future?
2: Yeah, I, th- I, th- I think it will be I, I, the, the the for the reasons Kyle said. I think the only X factor, of course, and w- this is with all Latin American countries. and now political. maybe even our country, political, is, <laughs> right. uh, political. Yeah. Yeah, they, they they've got an election coming up this fall, yep. and you know who who knows yep. what's going to happen with that. But but uh, but beyond that, I mean, if you look at just purely the from From the perspective of the, the quality of the land and the tobacco produced um, Nicaragua is going to be tough, is going to be tough to beat so long as, you know, they don't blow the place up. <laughs> all right. By oh the, man.
1: Speaking, speaking of that, I'm getting texts from my Cuban friends saying, uh, shout out to the, to the Cuban people, free Cuba, baby. We're with you guys. So uh, shout hey, out to those. We're folks. all, we're
3: all with you. Yeah.
1: And that would be great. Right. Like to see that open up, like, to give blenders like uh, Kyle and and, and whatnot uh, you know that Cuban tobacco if there was ever that that opportunity where that op- that opened up that would be incredible right like
3: well funny funny enough actually, I think it was a few years ago this was when Arsenio was still alive. Um, uh, Jacinto came back from Cuba on a trip and he brought back a bunch of and he brought back a bunch of leaf and it was actually the first time I actually got to blend you know Cuban tobacco, but I was in Nicaragua and I mean I, I want my hands on it. Just as much as the rest of them, but I would like my hands on it. if The team at Angola-Norso was actually the one carrying forward and fermenting it. Mm-hmm. Right, hey, that's uh, the you know the deciding factor. Yeah, mm-hmm. right.
1: Um, hey, Terrence, you could be right. This we we've we're halfway into the show. We've only got through our first segment, so uh, <laughs> uh, uh, listen,
3: we, listen. Uh, we talked about this before the show. Everyone who's watching, we're like, there's <laughs> no way this is gonna go. No, an hour. we it's... really want to dive into this, from Terrence <laughs> and I. It's only a certain way.
1: It's going to happen. But, folks, uh, this show is sponsored by JR Cigars, one of the world's largest online cigar stores. JR's inventory ranges from everyday bundled cigars to incredibly high-end boxes, plus a large selection of cigar accessories. This year, JR Cigar is celebrating their 50th anniversary. They'll be celebrating all year long with amazing promotions, contests, sweepstakes, and several limited-run projects with your favorite manufacturers. Turtle. Uh, join JR in celebrating fifty years of excellence and stock up on your favorite cigars today. All right, we're talking about the future of cigars with Kyle Gellis from Warped and Terrence Riley from Egg and Leaf, two of the brightest minds, I think, two of the young stars, Jordan, in the industry. Wouldn't you say?
0: I'm not I'm not that young. One of them's got a better yeah. beard than the other one. That's true. Say. <laughs> well, 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 one, hey, one, hey, one of them's taller. Terrence has the height. <laughs> Terrence has <laughs> got the height. I got the beard.
1: <laughs> All right, so we're going over the future of cigars, but in in a in a way about cigars, not about uh, not about politics. <clears throat> it, it, I mean, the, some of this is political, but very. I want to try to keep that on the edges. Tobacco processing, boys. Uh, Kyle, Terrence. I'm going to let Terrence start on this one. Do you see changes in the processing of tobacco? We see, you know, the Perdomo factory um, uh, aging for a second time in, in you know, uh, uh, bourbon barrels, which is a little bit different. They use smaller Uh, uh Do you see, Terrence, the uh, processing, fermenting of tobacco changing? Like we've been to the A.J. Fernandez factory, and it's literally like it's like a it's 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 like a futuristic version of of what you see in a lot of places. How is that evolving in today's world as far as processing tobacco?
2: Well, again, I, I, we, we do things the traditional way, the, the classic way, and we kind of like it that way because it works. And that's why everybody did it in the past. And that's why we're doing it now. Um, there, there, there are changes, of course, and there's technologies that can be implemented that are useful. But generally speaking, uh, we kind of try to keep as close to the traditional methods as possible. And that's because g- generally new processes are meant they're, – they're not they're, – uh, how do I say this? They're generally meant to speed the process along. They're generally meant to, to g- turn that crop into money faster, basically. And so they're not mm-hmm. meant necessarily to, uh, to improve flavor and aroma and things like that. Um, and again, that's understandable. It's, it's a you're, the joke in cigars is you want to make a million dollars, start with two. And <laughs> it's, it, your, your money's always tied up in tobacco. I mean, you, you, it's, a, it's a cost to grow, cure, ferment, age, blend, roll distribute you know it takes a long time to turn that that all that investment back into money and uh if you can do that a little bit quicker um then you know it's that's understandable um so so i think you'll continue to see uh, efforts to speed that process along and do it quicker but it, it's very you almost always lose flavor and aroma i mean you you can you can ferment faster there's there's hybrid seeds we talked about before that you can that will ferment faster uh naturally um but Really, anytime it 's a quote fuente you can 't rush the hands of time, and anytime that you you try to speed the process along that that generally affects flavor and aroma and overall experience so I, I think you 'll see that because um, you know from a business perspective, but uh, for us we 're doing as little of that as, uh, as possible
1: now kyle i 've always appreciated the one thing I really appreciate about warped is you have an uncanny ability of combining what I love about the vintage feel of cigars, but infusing sort of a modern take on it, does uh, exploring uh, different fermenting techniques, aging techniques, processing techniques, uh, does that move the needle for you at all? Or or do you you pretty much say, like, I just want the the tobacco the way we're getting it uh, currently?
3: You know, I, I mean, there's, there's been some innovations that, like Taryn said, you can rush, you can rush time if you want. Um, there's also processes to turn, you know, bad tobacco into decent-flavored tobacco, you know, platoon. And, you know, the processes that you don't really want to use if you're creating a pure product. Um, you know, for, for us, we, 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 I always look at everything. I, I, I always want to learn. I'm always trying to see, like, what certain things do to tobacco um, sticking it in a barrel aged and all that stuff, you know, that's great. That's innovative. You know, you're trying to find, you know, the, the next road forward and that's fine. But we actually like to go back. You know, like Terrence said, it's it, it's very pure in what we do. We're very traditional. And that's why the tobacco is the way it is. And that's why our flavor is the way it is. And that's why the flavor of Anganorsa is the way it is. You know, we're not as 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 a company for Warped. I'm not interested in, in new technologies. I'm not interested to rush anything. And which is why, like you have a problem, like sometimes getting our products is because we wait, you know, and waiting is the way to go. And, you know, when you go to and I've been to a lot of factories and I've been to a lot of you know fermentation warehouses and, you know, I always like to go back to, you know, Angonorsa just to, 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 to feel like the old world is because you get the better product. You have to wait, you have to, to look at things differently. You have to appreciate time. And in order to, to understand it. So uh, while I, I appreciate people who want to push forward and find new and innovative ways, tobacco is the way it is. It, you know, there's nothing wrong with the way that it was being, you know, processed, you know, before. And I, I don't I don't think that innovative ways to speed, you know, nature along is, is, is really needed. If you if your land is good, if your farming is good and your team is good then you don't, you don't need those processes. We're like, like the then again, I, have I, on the show. Like,
2: everyone's like, <laughs> what, what new? Yeah, seriously. Banks? Like, nah, really, <laughs> we that stuff. Yeah, we're, yeah, yeah. We're like, we're, ter- we're terrible
3: with that, man. Like, it's, it's, uh. it's, it's people, people don't understand, like, you know, if you want a cigar and you want the art form of a cigar, you have to appreciate the time it takes. And really, I, I mean, appreciating time and taking things slower, like, as a, young, as a young guy, like, you know, and I'm still, I guess, relatively young in the, in the grand scheme of it, I remember just sitting with Arsenio and him talking about the processes and just, you know, the laid-back nature of them. it. You need that laid-back, calm nature to understand tobacco because it will tell you when it's ready. And if you rush it, you're going to get garbage. Right. And, you know, we don't, we don't want any part of that. And the people we work with don't have any part of that. Well, we got
2: a good thing. We don't. We don't want to mess uh, it. Right. Now, I Correct. Ac- I we don't want to with I agree with you guys up. that
3: you you definitely cannot rush
0: this stuff. Kind of the same. I think bourbon's the closest parallel. Like the the bourbon industry, it takes you know decades to perfect the stuff. And so you, there, and there's been tr- there's yeah, been exactly. innovations to I try mean. to rush bourbon, and it never works. But there <laughs> uh, there are other ways that that bourbon innovates, and in like you know maybe they'll they'll age the barrel on a boat out at sea. Or you know, mm-hmm. like th- that kind of stuff, and even cigars have you know similar techniques. Like similar techniques, you yeah. can, even I, bourbon barrel aged cigars. I, I think
1: that isn't it? Isn't it wise? I mean, wouldn't you guys both agree that it is wise to at least be constantly exploring uh, other techniques?
3: Um, you know, I, I I appreciate that from a perspective of trying to move forward in industry and trying new things, but. Then again, like, what do you want? Do you want, you know, a traditional cigar, or do you want a cigar that was aged in bourbon, where the bourbon, or a bourbon barrel that has more, the bourbon barrel has more influence than the tobacco. To me, and that this is just me talking to myself, and you know, the way we operate and the way we we see things at warped, is that I don't need the influence of other objects to get where I need to go. I just need to go into the into the 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 bail room at Orson and I can find it. You know, I don't want bourbon influence in my cigar. Right. Now, now
1: just to be be fair, a lot of these, uh, at least uh, speaking of, you know, one that I mentioned earlier, they aren't using the bourbon barrels to infuse any bourbon flavor at all. It's just a way of sort of like pressurizing and reheating the tobacco to get it to break down, to to give it a buttery flavor. Yeah.
3: Tobacco is a sponge. It's going to absorb whatever's around it, no matter what. If I stick tobacco in in a in a Cabernet barrel that used that was used for, let's say, you know, one of my wines, you're going to get, and if you can taste it. That's that's a different thing. If you can pick up on the subtleties, you're going to get it. What, no matter one way or the other, you're going to taste some form of influence from it. Right. And you know, to me, like I want, I want from farm to barn to, to fermentation to bale to cigar. I don't need, I don't need anything in between. And I think
2: intent is important as well here. So Eric, I agree that like trying to do things in innovative ways is good. Uh, so I don't think you can it's learn, bad. right? You and learn. Yeah. You can learn things. And, and again, we have a cigar coming out and uh, on, on Monday with a uh, single cast nation. That's that we, we, the, the cigars aged in, in a barrel and they picked, and again, they, they pick up the notes of the barrel. I mean, you can, is that, is the, that, is that Yanni pro- Miller, Yanni Miller? Yeah. 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 So, right. so, and again, and that's a project and we're very proud of that. And, it, and it's, it's really cool to see how that impacts everything like that. He's
1: itself. a dojo guy. You know that, right?
2: Yeah. He's a great man. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and so it, it just, it's just, it's his intent. I think a lot of the, the efforts, generally speaking, again, not, not always. And I can't speak for everybody. But it's almost always for it's for a business purpose. It's like it even for if you look at bourbon, you, you use it like uh, you can use smaller barrels so they, they pick up the influence faster. Um, you know, there, there's all sorts of things that that are usually done, but it's to speed the process along. And and that's and that's different than than being innovative to to, to find a better Taste or a new flavor or something like that. Um, so it's just really intense, and and, and that's really the, the important thing is what are you trying to do? Are you trying to create new flavors and interesting flavors and and things like that, or are you just trying to make a good business decision that uh, makes you more profitable or makes makes you uh, you know cash flow better or whatever it is?
1: Right. Uh, all right. So let's move past the processing um, and go right into the manufacturing, the making of cigars after the tobacco has been processed. Uh, here's this is an interesting topic here. Uh, I, I'll I'll go to both of you. I'll start with Terrence. Uh, a mega factory versus a small boutique factory. Well, there's pros and cons, Terrence, to both of these uh, approaches. Like a, a mega factory yeah. may have uh, a vast, you know, selection of tobacco to choose from, and you know, uh, dozens and dozens of uh, sets of rollers so that you can, you know, uh, do various things, but uh, a small boutique factory, uh, you might be able to move quicker, uh, get things done faster because there's not, you know, a lot of uh, uh, stuff going on that, that would prevent you from maybe coming out with a cigar quicker. So that's just one pro and con. But Terrence, give me some pros and cons to sort of the mega factory. And we could probably put, you know, Aganor leaf is at least big. Um, but then there's some there's a, like micro factories. Give me some pros and cons to both of those approaches in making cigars.
2: Yeah, and I think Kyle can probably talk about this better, quite frankly, because he deals with, with both. Uh, but but for, I would say there, there's advantages to both. For us, obviously, uh, consistency, We, we ha- it's our tobacco. Um, we know where it's from. We grow it on, on a much larger scale. So, n- you know, it's not like, oh, well, we need more Nicaraguan tobacco. Well, where was it from? We know where our tobacco is, not only from the field, but the lot on the farm. All that information is really crucial to maintaining consistency. Um, so, so that's really uh, an advantage uh, for us. And then on the smaller side, or even if you're a smaller company, even if you don't have a factory, um, like for instance, like HBC, they do the broadleaf cigar. They do a cigar that uses broadleaf. We don't use broadleaf because broadleaf is hard to get. It's difficult to ferment. Uh, our, our Cuban guys, it's not their thing anyway. Uh, and so Rainier from HVC goes and he sources some bales of, of broadleaf and he's able to make a really incredible cigar using that tobacco. That, like for us, that's not really <clears throat> worth worth our time, quite frankly, for the most part, uh, it, because it's such a small it's a smaller run for a large factory. But if you're a smaller company, um, you, you know, you can get the, those smaller uh, you know, um, amounts of tobacco that can make a really incredible blend. And because you're not big, you don't need to, to make, uh, you know, 100,000 cigars. You can make 10,000 or 20,000 or, or, or whatever it is. And and, and you're happy and you're, and you're staying in business and you've put out an incredible blend. So now I
1: think t- Terrence, do, do they actually say that to you? Like you bring them some broadleaf and they say like, dude, that's no. that's, that's, <laughs> that's not my thing. Is that,
2: yeah, th- is that's that's that what they thing. say? That's, yeah, that's, yeah, it's yeah, not yeah. their thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> It's Spanish, but it's not their thing. Like again, fermenting broadleaf is a completely different thing. Mm-hmm. It's it's not they're, they're they're just not they just don't really know how to handle it, and it's it's difficult, and and it, the, the blending process it's they're not, there's a whole bunch of reasons that it just doesn't make sense for us to really do that. Um, but for for Renier, it does because he can he can get the broadleaf pretty much finished. He doesn't have to ferment it any further, and it's not that many bales. It's just a few bales. So somebody can you know afford to sell them you know just a few bales uh, through his relationships or whatever, and he can make a great cigar. And and so that that's that's really the one of the advantages when you're smaller is that you can utilize some of these tobaccos that um, otherwise aren't aren't viable if you're a, a large company.
1: All right, Kyle. Uh, pros and cons of uh, working with a big factory versus uh, working with a small boutique factory.
3: Well, obviously, yeah. Like Terrence said, like I, I work with both. Um, so I'll start with the, the larger factory being Anganorsa. Is that you know it's actually a little bit easier because you you have this trust and obviously them being vertically integrated, you know their consistency. They they know exactly what where it comes from. They know exactly what they did to farm it the re- previous year. The only the only variable you have is mother nature at that point. Um, so it's actually easier to deal with them because I don't have to like the oversight. Actually, on my part is not as uh, tedious as it would be for someone like working with Sandy because she sources material from so many people. And then obviously, you know, I, I I can't, you know, state yet, but it's been phenomenal so far working with Terrence's cousin, Hostos, is that, you know, you, you have phenomenal. to be a little bit more mindful because if Sandy gets a shipment in of tobacco at El Titan, I, I have to go down there. If she's going to roll, like, let's say, Colmena, and she gets the wrapper or she gets the filler, like, I have to go down there every single time there's a shipment to mm-hmm. validate it, to make sure that it's on our par, because you never really know you know, it, it, she's not sourcing it directly from, you know, she's not the one picking it, you know? So like that, that's the, the, the hard part is that right. you it's an oversight thing is, is always constantly on there. But if I call, if I call Eduardo and I say, Hey, like I need, you know, uh, place a place of PO or w- whatever the case is for, you know, Cristale, you know, from Florida Valle, like, I don't, I don't really have to worry because like it, it, they know exactly what, what farms, what lots and everything. And, you know, that's that's the beauty about working with with, you know, someone like a larger factory that has that vertical integration is that the consistency is amazing. Right. You know, and that's why when you pick up a cigar and and it's why we always say, like, when you pick up a La Hacienda the first time in in seven years, I want it to taste exactly like it did seven years ago. And we can do that because of that, because of that vertical integration, because of that farm because of that perfection. That's that's the biggest difference. Whereas like I'm constantly having to, to, mm. to go down to Titan and, and look and, and taste and sample and be like, you know, there's been times where I'm like, no, 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 this is this isn't this isn't part of the blend. This is not this is not it. And you need to get you need to bring more in and I need to test it again, or I have to fly to the DR to go find the material. You know, that's 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 the difference, you know, for me. And that's the pros and the con. You know, but in, in relative terms, like that's the only thing with tobacco and sandy in terms of production. You know, I trust her wholeheartedly when it comes to production because of her rollers. You know, and that's you know as well as hostos. You know, going down there and learning that, working with these small little factories in Chales, you know, you you have this ability, as you were saying earlier, Eric, is to make a smaller amount of cigars easier because it's really not worth it for me to go to Tanganorsa Norsa and say, "Hey, can you make me a thousand cigars?" You know that 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 doesn't really translate over mm-hmm. there because they're like, "Well, what?" you know like it, <laughs> right. it 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 doesn't translate so like that that's the pros and the cons which is why you see things like black honey where it was 60 bundles of 10 you 600 cigars and you know that that's the difference so but they're, they're the just, oversight, what you're saying is that they're, they're
1: much more agile if you're looking for a to do a product in the future that is uh, a super micro batch like mm-hmm. it wouldn't make sense to go to the large factory uh and so that's where the small boutique factory comes into Correct. play now Kyle uh, along the same lines, uh, can American cigar factories survive in the future? You do a lot of work with El Titan de Bronze in Miami. Terrence has a small factory right there in Leaf in the warehouse, which is super cool. Uh, J.C. Newman has invested millions into their um, Ybor City uh, factory. Can American cigar factories survive at labor costs or dramatically higher? What's the future for American cigar factories?
3: You know, I, I think it's I think it's very solid if you've ever been to Titan during the week, you know, or anything like that. You see the amount of tourists who come to Miami or locals and they want to see a factory, you know, and it's part of it. If you're in Little Havana, you want to go see that. You want to see a part of the, you know, the, the culture of Cuba. And if you know you want to experience the culture of Cuba, that's just Miami. You know, it's no two ways around it. There is a place for it. It was a lot of what this, you know, identity of the state of Florida actually is, is that is tobacco, is cigars. You know, if you look back and all the inspirational things that I look through to, to, for, for the brands that we create, a lot of these brands that like I see from, you know, the 1910s, you know, 1930s and stuff like that, were for American factories. A lot of them also like outside of Florida, obviously you have Pennsylvania, you have Ohio, which is a very big stronghold for a lot of factories back in the 20s and the 10s. And, you know, and I, there is a place for it. And if you take the the, the the labor and everything like that, I think this goes back to the earlier part of our conversation with, you know, consumers and and what they're looking for is that, you know, you have a consumer who's more educated and they want to know where their product comes from. They're looking for history and they're willing to, to spend more of their hard-earned money in order to get that piece of history, and that's why I believe American, you know, made cigars will always be there because it's a part of all of our history. You know, everyone wants to see the cigars, you know, get rolled in the U.S. It's kind of a the story. These are made. You can still go into the factory. You know, you can walk into Titan any day of the week, and you can walk in there. You can see Warp get rolled. You can see La Paulina get rolled. You can see now, obviously, the General uh, Cohiba get rolled there. You know, so the like the Drew that's, State, that's uh, a, the
1: Drew State Miami gets rolled there.
3: Yeah, the Herrera Miami. Mm-hmm. You, there's so much that you can see, and like it actually means a lot because like I, whether or not they know that I own Warped or physically, you know, who I look like or whatever, I've been in the factory sitting at a rolling table, just just rolling little roads full material, and people walk in and they ask Sandy, like, "Is this where you roll La Colmena?" Mm. And she's like, "Yes." And they they see it get rolled, and their eyes light up. They actually get to see that piece of art get rolled you know right. that's such an important part of our culture in in tobacco is is seeing you know just human hands actually make this beautiful thing that like gives us this experience and gives us this luxury so i believe that they will they'll always be here do they you know obviously if there were the ones who will survive are around right now you know in terms of the american factories because they want to it's historical it's family oriented it's been in the it's been in the family for decades. And I, I believe it's here to stay, you know, and, and, you know, it's a, it's a piece of art that, you know, we can't, we can't forget.
1: Terrence, uh, what are your thoughts? Can the American cigar factories survive the future?
2: I, th- I think it will survive in certainly like Miami and the Newmans have obviously made a massive investment to make sure it survives in Tampa with the cultural history there. And, and as Kyle said, people want to come down to Tampa and, and Miami and see that kind of thing. Um, outside of there, I think it's a tougher sell, but, but certainly I think, it's not going away in Miami or, or in Tampa in the Tampa area, um, simply because of the heritage as, as he, as he mentioned, um, you know, again, providing that, uh, you know, the government doesn't ruin it all, but, uh, (laughs) correct. But but aside from that, uh, you know, I, I think, I think it's viable. I mean, like, like you said, you know, people, people are interested in that. I mean, general, you know, that my, I, I bought one, you know, I bought that. I I said, Oh, wow. Sandy's making that. And, and, uh, you know, so I, it was like 30 bucks and I, and I got one. So, um, I, and I have all the cigars I can smoke. So, uh, I think it's still viable. Um, but it all, really in those, in those areas where there's like a, a history to it.
1: All right, boys, uh, we've gotten to an hour. Do you guys have enough time to stick around maybe 30 more minutes to finish this out or, or sure. do you got stuff to do?
2: I'm like Richard Gere, an officer, and a gentleman. I got nowhere else to go. All right, all right, all right. I got I
3: got cigars in front of me. I got some bourbon. Okay. I got nowhere else to go. By the, by the way, bourbon.
1: By the way, Kyle, show show the audience yeah. what you're drinking tonight.
3: So actually, we can use this as intermission. Uh, you know, uh, Terrence, we want to go refill. Go refill. Oh, good. Uh, thank you. I'm gonna go <laughs> <refill>. You're <laughs> welcome. I don't know. I don't know where my camera is, but we have George T. Is stag. Oh! We have stag.
1: That's part of the antique so. collection from Buffalo Trace. There's Jordan. What do we got? We have a uh, uh, George T. Stag uh, um mm-hmm. uh, Thomas Handy. Uh, you have the eagle William rare Lure-Weller. and the William Lou Weller. That's the five. And the the most powerful one is what Kyle's drinking, which is essentially now essentially a barrel proof pappy.
0: The stag uh, and the Weller kind of go back and forth. You'll see 140s on both of those guys.
1: Mm. Yeah, actually, it's the William Lure Weller that's basically uh, barrel proof pappy, Van Winkle. So I I, 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 I I I,
3: I told you guys. I told you guys before, I was very, very torn about what to bring on the show tonight because, like, it was between this, there was the the willette um, Estate Bourbon, or actually, I forgot I have it. Um, a buddy of mine came back from Japan um, right before the pandemic, and I hadn't opened it yet, but he brought back the Japanese um, uh, blends. Mm-hmm. And I was contemplating opening that, but the stag just called my name, so I was like, Oh, we gotta go the stag now. And we know that you know, <laughs> we know. You really can't go wrong with any of those. We geez.
1: know that we know that no. Terrence is drinking Sam Adams, yeah. So
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs>
2: that's, that's, I'm, having, I'm having the w- widow Jane, uh, 10 years, uh, just a widow 40, Jane, though, 45, right? uh, 90. There you go, years, yeah. okay, 90, yeah, there you go, there you go, buddy. That's, that's good Getting stuff, all right. Yeah, that was now, a gift from uh, our friends at Amandola.
0: There was a question oh, or two. Uh, yeah. I'm trying to get, re- they're kind of far back, but one of them was for Kyle. Um, Jeff Howard, I think, was wondering where you get your pipe tobacco made. Is that Aganorsa also, or is that just totally different?
3: No, no, no. So we work with Corneal and Deal um, based out of South Carolina, and we work with them to develop all the pipe tobacco. Hmm. All right. Good.
1: All right. Let's jump ahead to cigar marketing and merchandising. That's sort of the the next step in the process. And, and as far as I'm concerned, uh, we're doing what I do, being in marketing. Uh, this this is kind of like uh, the most interesting topic to me. Uh, I'll, I'll start with Kyle on this one. Uh, more and more companies, Kyle, uh, cigar companies, are examining the way other, uh, other markets treat their merchandising and how the product appears on the shelf for the consumer. How do you see cigar merchandising inside the brick-and-mortar or maybe even on an online retailer how do you see uh merchandising evolving maybe over the next 10 years
3: well i mean i I think you already kind of saw a lot of that from some of the the larger um brands uh conglomerates um you know camacho and all them uh, years back started making brightly colored boxes and all that type of stuff and you know they were a little bit ahead of that trend in terms of drawing uh, consumer's eyes to a box in a humidor based upon all natural wood colors, you know, so that, that was kind of the first step in terms of people making an investment in terms of in, in shop, you know, merchandising and, and changing, you know, but I see that the more and more that I look at it and I don't really look outside of my own realm. Um, I've, I've been very vocal about that. You know, I concentrate on warped. So, you know, but the more and more I see a lot of people or some people are going into, to brightly colored boxes and all that stuff to try to grab the shelf attention. I have a different viewpoint on all that, but that's a whole different off topic thing. Um, you know, I see that people are going back more traditional. I see that, you know, lacquered boxes, maybe painted boxes. That's fine. You know, lacquered and natural. And I believe that the cigar is, is the focal point. The It's an old thing. And actually, you know, I, I think it was like, I don't know, like seven or eight years ago, I was sitting at, at, at Tropical with Palmer and we were talking about like the Florida Valle band, you know, And when I first made the first cigar with him. And he looks at me, he goes, Kyle, he goes, the band will get them once, but the cigar will get mm. them forever. Right. And, you know, that was that was a mind opening thing that Paul gave me advice on. And because I, I, I obviously I put a lot of you know effort and everything like that into branding, but yeah, the point is like you need to concentrate a little bit on on the packaging and the branding, obviously. But it's the cigar. You can get anyone to buy something once, but if it doesn't produce and it doesn't, you know, perform, you're not going to get them again. So I, I, I like to go back and, and think that everyone is kind of at this level in terms of cigars, has a new bar that everyone needs to follow in terms of quality. And I believe that is More important than the merchandising part at this point, it, it's the, the quality of cigar, it's it's the consistency of it, and it's the you know the genuineness of it. it it's so much, but to me, like I'm not trying to slink pink boxes on a on a shelf. You know what I mean? It's just all of our boxes are natural, and with this, after after being in the industry for 15 years and making cigars since I was 18 years old, this is the first year I've ever made a lacquered box. And that was with with Hostos. That was the first time I've ever used lacquer on a box. And I thought I was breaking the mold with
1: that. <laughs> um, now, Terrence, you with your uh, Supreme Leaf, you can see this. <laughs> you can see this cigar from space. It's I'm pretty I'm pretty sure Elon Musk. Well, funny
3: enough, where hold on, I was actually smoking one uh, the other day. I was just actually showing Terrence before, but I was actually smoking. Uh, nice. Leaf, yeah. So, like, it's just like, yeah, no, it's eye-catching as all, as all get-out. But, you know, like I said before, that cigar actually performs.
1: Now, Terrence, uh, talk a little bit maybe about this, uh, as far as you see merchandising and how you see merchandising evolving in the cigar industry in the next uh, few years.
2: So, again, I, I think ultimately you've got to have a great product, and that's, that's the key thing. I, I, I do think, as you across the industry you're going to see more in terms of an effort to be consistent like kyle he's doing a lacquered box for the first time he has very consistency in terms of his packaging i think that's kind of important um and we've not honestly done a great job of that we're working on improving that um so that when you look at the shelf it's identifiable and perdomo does an amazing job of this you look at a shelf of perdomo it's all perdomo and you know it's all the same company and it, it you know it's not all the same because there's different styles and things like that but you know it's perdomo and uh, and I think you're going to see more and more of a, of a shift towards that um, in terms of I think traditionally what would happen is a bunch of guys would get in a room and they would just kind of create something. And, it, you know, it might be awesome, but there wasn't a, in terms of how it fit into the brand overall and, and the other brands that currently exist and, and all the, that kind of stuff. And I, you're seeing more effort to create a sense of uniformity across across the brand so that when the the consumer who's got a lot on his mind and has a lot of things going on walks into the humidor, he sees that section of of the shelf that you're on and he can say, okay, look, there's that, that, you know, look at this brand over here. Um, you know, whereas a lot of times you can have a full shelf in the humidor, you know, packed with your brand, but nobody would ever really know it's all the same company because the packaging is so diverse. Uh, so I I think there's a shift towards that.
1: Terrence, how much thought pre-thought do you put into that aspect, like thinking ahead, like, all right, so like we have this, you know, a uh, uh, set of products that we w- would like to put in a brick and mortar. But, um, you know, how much effort and, and mental uh, input do you think ahead to say, hey, this this needs to, you know, this is our I know you've just recently sort of redesigning the bands. They're, they're, by the way, they're gorgeous. The new Agonorsa Leaf logo is absolutely gorgeous. I love every, every bit of it. The new branding is fantastic. So it seems like maybe you're kind of rethinking you know how your product is going to look on the shelf when a consumer walks in and looks at Agonorsa Leaf.
2: Yeah, we, we just want them to see that it's Agonorsa. We want them to see, okay, this is clearly an Agonorsa product. And so the, the logo being on there is important. Uh, again, we want to we want to have various degrees of that depending on what it is. So if you, again, you take Mondavi wine. You know, there's Mondavi and then Mondavi Select, and then there's like Woodbridge by Mondavi or whatever it is. And, and and so that Mondavi is always there, but it's 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 proportional to to where it is in the product line. And and so moving forward, you're going to see over the next year a lot of of, of uh, effort to to. to create that uniformity where you know that when you're looking at that shelf that we're on, this is all Aganorso. It doesn't all look the same, but it's all Aganorso.
1: Right. Uh, Terrence, uh, this is a real quick one for both of you guys. I don't want to spend a ton of time on this particular one, but uh, given this is the only question I have tonight, I think that has anything to do with uh, regulation and government intervention too much, but, uh, just quickly, how do you see, like right now, Acid is one of the top-selling cigars in the world, right? It's like number three uh, or so usually in the world as a top-selling cigar. How do you foresee uh, infused and flavored cigars? What's the future of those given the climate that we're in?
2: You, you're asking me first? Or yes. No? Just go. Okay. got okay. it. Uh, yeah, I mean, I hope I hope it lasts. I, I mean, again, it's it's not necessarily what the type of cigar I smoke, but but I don't think there's there's anything wrong with with, with it. I mean, there's vodka that's got all sorts, you know, whipped cream vodka and cherry vodka and with all these things now. So, um, <laughs> and unfortunately, the, the, the companies that that are making these products have the, the capacity to fulfill the regulatory uh, requirements, um, and so I hope that. They're able to continue to do that, and and if if you have a cigar for the first time, um, because you like that you know that that aspect to it, and that gets you into cigars and interested into cigars, um, I think I think that's that's great, and I and I think that as long as those companies uh, are able to to deal with the regulatory work, which again, when you have the number three cigar in the world, you generally can. Um, you know, I, th- I think they're not going anywhere I don't think you're gonna see diversity I don't think you're gonna see a lot of uh, companies trying to come out with something like that but right. I do think the ones that exist um, are here for at least at the very least the new f- near future and I and I hope forever
0: right Terrence this is t- slightly off topic but I just want to get your take on this do you have an opinion on like for beer the ultra craft breweries they can get away with you know you go to, like get a Weldworks and that's the hottest brewery in Colorado and you know they make a beer that's made with like cotton candy, watermelon, strawberry, vanilla, you know, and that's cool. But like, sounds like diabe-
2: di- diabetes in a glass.
0: <laughs> sure, but like the the diehard craft beer guys will eat that up. And then in cigars, and uh, you know, you just said vodka infused and stuff like that it has a, a little bit of a different connotation.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think we're also caught in a world where. The vast majority of of, of Kyle and, and and myself and most of the companies out there, we're dealing with a very small segment of the overall market. I mean, if 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 we if we sold what Acid sells, you know, we, we we'd be we'd be living the dream. We'd be Big Daddy Warburg, diving in money. You know, I mean, it would be it, like it, it's. So I, I think that there's. You, you, if you ever go to a biker rally, I one time was at some sort of a Harley Davidson event, and and you'd see some guy that came up that looked like he just killed six people. It'd be like, <laughs> it'd be like i you know, give me a box of blondies. I mean, they were smoking acids. I mean, they were right. smoking blondies. So, so, so I, I think within our insular world, you know, there's a connotation to oh well, you know, real cigar smokers don't smoke that or whatever it is. But there's a huge segment of the market that really enjoys that. And again, who's 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 it for us to say, you know, that you shouldn't? Oh, well, well, because we don't like that you shouldn't have that. And and I think that 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 group largely is is very cool with it and doesn't think there's anything wrong with it. It's only within our kind of circle that 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 develops a negative connotation.
1: Uh, Kyle, what are your thoughts on infused and flavored cigars? The future of them?
3: You know, I, I think Terrence kind of hit every you know every little you know bullet point on that. Um, I, I I just tend to agree that. You know, is it the cigar that I smoke? No, you know, I just don't. Um, Do I believe that it's, it's, in a way, it's almost good for the industry because you never know which of those consumers who start off with an acid or a flavored cigar, you know, two, three years down the road, like, are they going to end up in our realm? You know, like, because they like the, it's not so much the cigar. It's the camaraderie part. It's uh, If they're sitting in a shop and smoking acids, and, you know, they're with a bunch of other cigar guys in that shop. Eventually, someone is going to offer them a real, you know, premium cigar without flavoring and they may like it. And then guess what? You've had someone join our, our very small niche part of the market. And that's the important part. As long as our industry is growing, as long as people are enjoying cigars and enjoying what they stand for, enjoying a, you know the conversation that comes along with sitting down in the shop or sitting with a group of people and, and smoking a cigar, then that's what it's all about, you know. Is it something that we do or we're ever interested? No, it's it's just not what we do. But I believe that there will always be a place because there's just always going to be a place for that because people want to smoke a cigar, but they don't want to taste, you know, t- tobacco and they want to taste the flavor. But, you know, these companies have the ability to last through regulation because there's such, uh, such a broad spectrum of the market and, you know, they have the financial means to do it. And they're going to be there, and that that's fine. You know, our job is, as someone who produces cigars a certain way is to go after the people who are looking for that experience. But you just never know which of those people who smoke, you know, a flavored cigar come down the way and, you know, actually turn into a, uh, you know, uh, enjoy a, uh, a warped or enjoy an Angonorsa leaf or enjoy a Padron or, or whatever the case may be. As long as they're enjoying themselves and enjoying the company of the people that you know are around them, then that's all that matters. Yeah, those are
1: that's a great answer by both of you because I really feel like, you know, in a in a, I don't smoke uh, infused or flavored cigars that often either. But uh, these cigars not only are they a, a great way to get people interested in premium cigars because they are premium cigars. I mean, if you go to Drew Estate Factory, they're making you know blondies and acids and and Cuba Cuba. They're making them in the exact same way that they make any other cigar. They are a premium cigar, and it does it does bring people in. But also, it also does subsidize part of our industry. There's so many people that buy these cigars that it does add to the overall, you know, health of our industry. All right, Kyle. I think this next question is probably to me the most important question that we're going to talk about tonight, mm-hmm. and that is. The pros and cons of a limited edition product or a micro run product versus adding a whole new line extension, you can't have a million SKUs, right? Ultimately, you mm-hmm. have to have a certain amount of SKUs in your inventory. You can't manage uh, an infinite amount of SKUs. So limited products have this uh, certain importance in the industry, but at the same time, they can be frustrating because you know only a certain amount of people can get them. So... Kyle, talk about the pros and cons of micro runs, limited editions versus just adding a whole new brand or a line extension of an existing brand. What are the pros and cons?
3: You know, so limiteds always have a place in this industry. Um, You know, sometimes it's limited because it's a concept and it wants to be limited. Sometimes it's solely based on material. um, And sometimes it's production scheduling. You know, it just depends on what type of factory you're working with. It's in terms of... um, it creates, uh, I guess, an aspect of relevancy. Um, you know, if you're just concentrating on your Coraline product all the time, consumers always want new, you know, and as a blender right. and as someone who works in this industry, like I always, am, you know, toying around or, or, or tweaking things to see how it goes. And, you know, that sparks the limited aspect of like, oh, I can make this, but hey, this is just an example, obviously. Like, hey, Sandy, like, can you squeeze in, you know, 2000 cigars for me. And you know, she's like, no, well then you can't do it. Or she's like, yes, she, I, or like a yes. And it's like, okay, but she's only like, I can do 2000 and that's it. Like, and then I got to get back to making these other people's cigars or I get back to regular production on your stuff. So the, the pros and cons of it allow the relevancy to continue. It allows an interchangeable and aspect to create something new in a different size or with a different, you know, wrapper or a different, you know, um, filler content. So it, it it allows a brand to keep growing, it allows consumers to get more interactive, or it allows someone to get, you know, excited about something like we have a limited, which is, you know, Skyflower comes out once a year, but for the past two years, we haven't done it. And that's not because, you know, we haven't wanted to, it just hasn't fit in the production schedule, you know, like, it it, it needs the time because we're solely concentrated on making sure that we have our regular production products as well. So it's a very difficult thing to to actually maneuver around when you're a brand is like figuring out, you know, one and done limiteds. But like, I think that what, what people have a business model of limiteds only, like that's great if that's your business model, that's not our business model. You know, and people think like, Oh, they're just trying to make a quick buck on limiteds. It's like, listen, like, I mean, do you think a limited is paying my overhead? Like it, it's it's just not you know and that that's the brutal reality of it is like they think that you're making all of your money on limiteds like you think I make enough money to run my business on a thousand boxes of 10, right. like 10,000 cigars like it, it it's not it's because the material is good the concept is great it's a fun cigar but you know it, it's not an everyday thing and you know so you know sometimes limiteds happen in a, in a complete random aspects, sort of of an organic way, right? In an organic way. Or like, it was, you know, just something that you didn't see coming, but it's, there's, there's a place for them. There's that's your business model to just create limiteds, create hype. That's fine. You know, if that creates your brand's relevancy, then that's great. And if that's your model, that's your model. But a lot of the time, you know, now for, for warped anyway, is like we have our, we pretty much have our staples in terms of like limiteds, And we just kind of make them every year. You know, you have Skyflower, you have Lilia Rojo, and you just go about that. But in terms of you know pros and cons, there's 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 both because pros are the like I said before the relevancy, the fun nature of it, and all that. The cons are you know retailers get upset because they didn't get enough of it, you know, and then you're like, oh no, I I didn't take you know, but there's not enough there's not enough of it, so you're always in this this dead end challenge of uh, of two sides of like. You know pull and push right and it's 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 just really really hard to, to make everyone happy and it's like listen this is this is what it is and you know but we don't we don't hold your feet to the fire over it if you want it you can have it if you don't want it then you don't want it and then they come back like after it sells out and then turns out like oh this limited was great or whatever then they get mad that they can't get it after it's gone so it's it's, it's a constant battle between you know i guess good and evil
1: Uh, Terrence, what are your thoughts on the pros and cons versus uh, the limited runs versus, you know, full on lines and brand extensions?
2: Yeah, again, uh, uh, I agree with everything Kyle said. And and I think I think for the way we handle limiteds for the most part is from a business perspective, it's because the fact is like, why are we making, you know, why are we doing this? People always ask me, they're like, why are we like? Uh, do you have any, you know, a field has a really unique tobacco taste and things like that, or some crop from some year or whatever it is. And, and farmers hate that. They don't want that. They want the same tobacco in large volume over and over again. That's consistent. And,
3: and there's a fire truck. Holy cow. Uh, oh my God. Another, another, shooting, hey. another, shooting, <laughs> another shooting Terrence. What, what did you Miami.
1: What did you do? Terrence?
2: Listen, I jeez, oh, you know, I've got a, I've got another life. It's it uh, that's all I can tell you. <laughs> They're finally coming for me. Let me see if I can finish answering this. Ter- Terrence Dude. lives Ter- Terrence next to Terrence Holy- man of
3: Miami. He yeah, he lives been- next
1: to Dexter. I'm pretty sure.
3: He's got, he's got uh, the vinyl up on the walls. It's, <laughs> it's, it's coming it's coming after me. It's right outside.
2: Um, I apologize everyone that's too, right. for uh, the distraction. Um but uh but yeah, it, it, you know, they don't want a they don't want a unique, rare tobacco that they can't make a lot of. Like that, that's not what they want. That's you know, it's not really uh, within the lines of of how a factory operates. Um, and so we, the way we utilize it is basically we have our partners uh, who are retailers who are really supporting our core line brands. And and I and I can say to the factory, listen, we can either use this tobacco in a lot of things and dilute it so it's not really present, or we can use this tobacco uh, and really highlight it and do a short run and drive consumers uh, to our retail partners. So, and again, you know, Kyle is a great example of this. He comes out with Skyflower, he comes out with, with Moon Moongarden or, or, or whatever uh, it, it is. And it, uh, that retailer will get calls from people he's never heard of before. And, and that's a huge benefit because the whole game is if you're a business, you want more customers. And so if that guy becomes a customer uh, through that process, well, uh, we provide a value to you, um, and so that's kind of how we look at it. Is, is yeah, nobody nobody's getting rich out of a thousand boxes or whatever it is. Um, but if that cigar gets people excited about your brand, if that cigar drives new consumers to the stores that support us, um, that that's really the benefit. Is is that. Is, is those two aspects. It's not financial. It's right. a, a, The, the fact that every time, you know, they hear something like that, they, they roll their eyes and they're like, ah, oh, oh, why yeah. are we doing this?
0: <laughs> now, oh, yeah. Can I add on to this a little bit? Yeah. Um, Kyle, you kind of take an interesting approach. And I was wondering what maybe the pros or cons or what your mindset is behind this. You don't, like the traditional brand will release a cigar, it gets popular, they come out with a Maduro version, they come out with a Connecticut version. You don't mm. typically do that. You have... La Colmena, it's made this certain way. You have, floor, you know, uh, uh, Valle, the, the Valle blend, it's made that certain way, and that's it. There's never a Maduro mm-hmm. extension,
2: a Connecticut extension. Do, 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 do you do any Maduros? I don't think you do. Do you do Maduros? Yeah, you don't do Maduros.
3: Oh, so? Yeah. yeah. O- also, yeah. Well, yeah, also, but that, that, I mean, that's, that's not like if we're talking about Anganosa, then, then, then there's no, no, there's but I'm no just Zero, talking about yeah, you we, as a brand though. Like, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, we, 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 we leave it alone. Like when, when we release a brand, you know, or a blend, you'll see that like, we don't have a huge amount of, of sizes come out. And this, this is for us, obviously, this is not, you know, going on anyone else or anything like that. You know, I, I tend to, when we, when I blend something, I'll have it rolled in every size that I enjoy. And I'll pick the one that performs for that blend specifically the best way, which is why we have one or two sizes per thing. You know, I don't need to have seven sizes. And There's two parts and two decisions to that that I think everyone can pick up on pretty quickly is that, you know, for a small brand like me, you know, you have seven sizes and then you find out that six of them don't sell well. Well, mm-hmm. guess what? You're stuck with six SKUs that you can't move as, as better. So in terms of being able to be nimble, you know, in terms of your business, you need to have, you know, a, a few offerings of SKUs. But the main driving factor for, for me is that I, I pick the one that performs the best. And I don't want out in the market a cigar that underperforms to my standard. Mm-hmm. And that's why you only see one or two sizes. And I don't try to just be by adding a different wrapper. Because if I add a different wrapper to a cigar, I have to re-blend the cigar to match that wrapper. Just because you change out the wrapper doesn't mean that the blend will actually hold to that blend, you know, the, the, the wrapper will hold to the blend, you know, which is why, especially when you're working like, let's say Skyfly with Medio Tempo, you, you can't just stick Medio Tempo in a cigar and expect it to perform. You know, it's overly dominant, you know, it burns at a different rate, like you have to work around that specific material. It's the same thing, with just changing out a wrapper. So I stick to what, what I find at the table and I stick to what I, my gut tells me. And that's kind of why we don't really change things in and out a lot. It's just because when we have something that works, we don't we don't tend to go away from it. All
1: right. Uh Terrence, uh cigar names. Uh where do we go from here is the next question. Uh we we struggle with this, uh, Terrence as well. You know, we do the Dojo collaborations and whatnot. And and it gets to the point where like every possible name for a cigar has been picked, and uh, I know that you're probably you know running out of superlatives. You get you know supreme leaf, rare leaf, like next year will be fantastic leaf. I'm I'm assuming. Uh, where do we I go? Tons left. Ultimately, Ultimate incredible. Uh, amazing. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, okay. like, I got all sorts. Uh, but uh, it, talk about what goes into for the folks that are watching on Facebook right now. Talk about what goes into you know naming a cigar. It's not an easy process.
2: Yeah, and again, I think traditionally it was an easy process in the sense nobody really thought about it. They just named it whatever they felt like, and that was the end of it. Uh, but yeah, if you want to be, I think successful, you have to kind of think about that a little bit. Again, especially as you as you you want to expand the consumer base, uh, there's people that you Kyle could name his cigars almost anything, and it wouldn't even matter because he's got such an amazing base that loves what he does and follows him and understands what he's doing um, that the name I think is less important. And again, I'm, I don't want to speak for you, Kyle. So if I'm wrong, you can, you can tell me, Um, I I think as you want to reach more and more people. It has to be easier. Um, And I always use the example. I'm, I'm, I'm a, you know, I like bourbon as much as the next guy. I've been to the bourbon trail. I, I, I know a fair amount about burger. I'm not on bourbon blogs. I'm not trading bourbon. I'm not like, and, and I know more than probably, you know, but most people, but, and I'm, and I'm not in that level. Um, so when, mm-hmm. when you want to capture a consumer, um, you have to think like, you know, again, like how many times does a guy not order a French wine because he doesn't want to say "chateau de the pop. He's like, uh, you know, <laughs> it, it, you know it, it's, it's, he doesn't want to embarrass himself. So, um, you know, or he doesn't know how to say it and he doesn't want to say it the wrong way or whatever. So, you know, pr- uh, is it easy to pronounce? Do, will the person get it? Um, you know, I think that those factors, are important is as, as you want to reach more people because right. you know after a certain level it's it's hard to to get people as the name becomes more esoteric or obscure or difficult to say or or or, or it requires research to understand or whatever it is.
1: Now, Kyle, uh, Skyflower, Moon Garden, you've got some uh, really interesting names for cigars. Talk about your process uh, when you uh, come up with a new brand and how you you name it. You also have some some that you know really sound you know just vintage and you know don ronaldo that kind of stuff like you you're sort of like uh all over the gamut as far as the naming goes but talk about your process when you're uh bringing up a new brand creating new branding
3: well i mean like the naming process is is one that could be kind of like mm-hmm. It's hard. I mean, there, there, there's so many aspects to it. Number one being first and foremost is is original content. Obviously, like you have to make sure that you're not stepping on anyone's toes, um, you know, and you need to be able to, to to have the foresight to know that. Like and there's not a lot of people in this industry that actually understand that, like IP is IP. You know, if I own a name, I own a name. And a lot of people want to, you know, try to step on it. And, um, you know, you, you, you so like if I come up with a name, the first and foremost thing I do is I go on the USPTO and I make sure that no one has something similar because it's a lot cheaper to do that. It's a lot cheaper for my time to spend two to three hours making sure no one has a name rather than getting a cease and desist letter or going to the, the, the expense of, of trademarking it and then finding out that the, Gazette, that the USPTO examining an attorney decides that it's not capable of being done because someone has a similar name. And that's not something that's heavily done. So that's first and foremost is making sure that you don't step on anyone's toes, um, and that's that's one part of it. You know, the second part of it is finding inspiration to find the name, and that can come from you know a, a vast majority of things. It can come from two different things that you put together. It can come from me, you know, reading from. You know, old books, it can come from me looking in art forms and the title of a piece of artwork from some artist you've never heard of from the 1600s or from, you know, a Japanese watercolor artist or or, or, or something like that. So the process to it, it, it can be lengthy. Um, in terms of like thinking about, like like Taryn said, like, is it easy to say? Like, one of the age old things with, I, I tell my guys in, in my office is like, you know, when we come up with a name, like, how does it sound coming out of a, the mouth of a, of a consumer? So, like, I would like, let's just take I'll give you a prime example. Like, I don't even I don't even care about it. It's like, you know, with Chinchale, which is the, the cigar made at uh, Terrence's Cousins factory in the DR, you know, Chinchale. It, it's, it's pretty simple. It's a slang term in Cuban used for a small factory. But, like, when I went to the trade show this year, one of our retailers came up and he goes, so do you have that chinchilla cigar? <laughs> and, you know, like, and I, I started laughing and I thought it was amazing. But what I noticed, though, is during the trade show is that several retailers actually called it that. So instead of steer away from that, you kind of got to steer into the wind with it and be like, yeah, yeah, yeah that, that that chinchilla, you know, like. But in reality, like, you know, we always make sure that it's, pronun- it's pronunciated correctly and we always try to, like, politely correct people. But it happens in the world of consumers. So like, so like, you know, I'm sitting there like, guys, like, how does it sound like, you know, the warps chinchale, you know, or warps Florida Valle, warps this, warps that, like, how would it sound coming out of the mouth of someone, of a consumer It's mm, something that's interesting and what walking around my office all day, you'll hear me saying out loud, like, you know, not this was, you know, you know, a long time ago, but like warps La Hacienda, warps Florida Valle, or like people still to this day call it Florida Vale, or they can't. Pronunciate it and they try. So that goes back to the Terrence, you know, when he was saying about people don't want to seem like they don't want to say it, you know, when they're trying to order French wine or saying Chateau du Pop or messing up in a pronunciation. So, but for us, like whatever sounds correct will sound correct and however they want to, you know, pronounce it is, is it's going to happen. And someone will correct them along the way or guess what? They'll just call it what they think it's called <laughs> and then that's it. So, you know, naming is, is is incredibly difficult, but the hard part, like you guys said, is is making sure you have original uh, ip which is why like when i come up with a concept my first and foremost aspect is to trademark it so it kyle, can't be can't be used against me kyle
2: it's so funny that you say that too because whenever we when i was with Casada or now whenever we would work yep. a, for a private labor project i would literally say the first thing it's like make sure you have the rights to the name make sure right. that you, what you're you i would say it like a hundred times i can't tell you how many times it was still a problem <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, we got it. It's fine, it's fine. And then yep. and then the guy would get, like, sued or something. And I was like, man, I told you Correct. to get <laughs> somebody, yeah. Uh,
3: you know. Yeah, actually. Listen, still, to, still to this day, it happens. Like, there's a brand uh, right uh, now that's doing it with one of our, with I'm not going to go over it, but, you know, doing it with one of ours. Like, and it's a simple thing, man. Like, you, I mean, do you not use attorneys to check this? Because you're going to have a problem. We, we,
1: yeah, you know, we, like- we've ran into that as, as well, Kyle. We did the uh, K9 with protocol, which is K and mm-hmm. the number 9 and. Mm-hmm. And we went through all the research and whatever, but when the cigar was coming out, there was a brand that was Canine, but it was C-A-N-I-N-E, and yep. the guy was super cool. It turned out he was a big fan of the dojo, so he was like, "Ah, it's just a, it's a, it's a small run project, so don't even worry about it." And and so it, it worked out. But yeah, it's it's difficult even when you do the research. Sometimes, all right. Last question, Kyle. This goes to you, and then Terrence. Um, I'll go to Kyle first on this one. On merchandising, the cigar personality. This has evolved over the years. Like uh, there was a time when you know it was like the uh, the Cuban guy, you know, like riding a horse through a field. Then it kind of evolved, <laughs> evolved into you know like the the Jonathan Drews, the Matt Booths of the world. Do you see uh, Kyle, the cigar personality, the brand runner, that personality evolving? And how much thought do you put into yourself? As a brand runner, as how am I going to be perceived in the market, is that important to you? Does that play a part in the way that you present yourself to the consumer? How do you see that evolving in the future?
3: You know, well, for, for, for me, I think the most important thing is always just making sure that you're, you're true, like, and you're organic. Like, if you see me, like, in just general outside world, like, I am who I'm perceived as for our company it's not anything that's altered. You can't, you can't live a different truth. Um, You know, I wear bespoke suiting, you know, I smoke cigars, I drink wine, I drink bourbon, you know, I have giant dogs, you know, and actually right now that you can't see, but they're sticking their noses up on my my sliding glass door (laughs) right now. They're upset. They're upset that they can't actually be out here on the couch, you know? So like you, you need to just like, if you have a persona, it's not like, an artist uh, or let's just take like a rapper who has to live a dual, a dual life as like they have their stage performance name and then they have who they really are, you know, and they're just doing it for the show. You know, that's fine. If that's it. If that's what you want. And you think that that's what your brand needs. But I think this industry is is full of a lot of organic people and truthful people. And if you need to create a persona for yourself to, for your brand, then by all means do what you got to do. But I think the easiest way is people who are looking to get in this industry is just just be who you are, you know. There's, and and you know, just make sure your persona is a lot less important than your product. You know, it's a, it's an extension of you, obviously. So like, make sure that you know you are truthful in who you are and who what you know the product that you produce. Right, but at the same you know, time, that will, that at the same show. time,
1: Kyle, like uh, I think that you know you do uh, put off a certain persona uh that i think is is a good one like uh i do think it does appeal to you know a, a, a market segment you know the way that that you put off so there is there's mm-hmm. something to it right but what you're just saying is is it can't be something manufactured
3: no correct like have to think about if you have to take the easiest way i could do this is if you have to flip a switch in your mind to say that and you know if i have to flip a switch in my mind say that okay it's time to be kyle from warped then you have a Mm. problem you can't you know you can't you can't live that way like if you know it's the aspect of like you know there's i'm not going to name names but like you know do you actually smoke cigars like you know and you're a cigar brand owner like do you actually like live it like if you see me driving around like all day, like you see if I post on, on social media, like I'm driving around with a cigar in my hand with the, on, on my wheel of my car, you know, like I'm smoking in the car, like right. and I'm driving around and doing whatever. Like that's not that's just a daily life thing for me. That's not something that that's manufactured. So, you know, I, I think that like being who you are is just that the industry needs it. Like if you say like you just said, Eric, like, you know, there's a certain persona that I may give off like, well, that's just who I am. And, you know, Terrence is who Terrence is and Max is who Max is. And, you know, other brand owners are who they are. And that's that's the important part, because much of the cigars that we produce, they're an extension of of who we are, how we see things and how we see this industry and how we view tobacco and how we want to accomplish certain goals for our companies. You know, we're all just taking a different approach to it. But I believe that we're all just being who we really are. Like, you know, there's there's a there's an Eric outside of of. Cigar Dojo Eric, but I'm pretty sure that the Eric outside of Cigar Dojo Eric is Cigar Dojo Eric. He, he's
1: a lot more interesting. Well, well he's a lot, <laughs> a lot more interesting. Trust me, <laughs> Terrence. Now, Terrence, we we all know that uh, you you're not really a Tom Brady fan. That's just part of your persona. He's uh, a great man,
2: and how how dare you, sir? <laughs>
1: Terrence, do you do you put? What do you think about this topic of the cigar personality? You've you've been around this industry a long time, Terrence, and you've seen. Uh, sort of the evolution of this, and I, I'm gonna say like I don't think any of this is wrong. Like, I liked uh, every sort, every sort of step along the evolutionary process of the cigar personality. But what do you think about moving forward? Like, wh- do you see uh, a- another time will there be a-, a a Jonathan Drew where people line up, you know, 300 yards deep just to to talk to this guy? What do you make of this cigar personality uh, aspect of marketing cigars?
2: I mean, yeah, I mean, again, I think it, there's various degrees that people implement it. Like, who owns Davidoff? Who knows? You know, uh, so th- that's not a brand that really has that. Obviously, there's Hinky Kellner, but I would say that the vast majority of Davidoff smokers don't necessarily either know who he is or are smoking it because of that. You know, and and, and that's not criticism of them they they've done an amazing job of you think of davidoff the first thing that comes to mind is luxury and a certain lifestyle and that you think of the guy in the suit with the watch and it, so they've done an amazing job with that um, so it, they haven't made it about uh, you know at least with the davidoff now with avo it was about avo you know and right. so it just it just depends how much that person is is a part of uh, is integral to the to the brand and and that's that varies from from brand to brand. I mean, some brands, like again, like Kyle, like you're like with, talking about persona, like that's who Kyle is. Now, that happens to be a, a personality that that a lot of people identify with, and 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 that helps them. And you know, some people, you know, they're less interesting than, than Kyle, and they and that's who they are, and and maybe they shouldn't make it as much about themselves and make it about other aspects. So it just it just depends on one what you, you know how how much a part of what you're doing is. Are, are, are you? Are is is that visual image of you a part of? Terrence, do
1: you like do you like being in this in that role? Like you are in that role now. How does that? I'm not in that role. No, you are. No, you are in that role. Ask you, Kyle. No, you. That's, the, that's the,
3: You're that's in, the, in that role. Terrence is, <laughs> Terrence is behind. Terrence, is behind Terrence, Terrence likes being behind the scenes, moving, shaking, shaking hands. Yeah. yeah, yeah I'm I, 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 so again, uh, like, and you
2: know, I'm, I'm always very pleased when anyone. We, on the rare occasion anybody knows who I am uh but w- really we don't make it a, I mean I we're promoting based on the product we're promoting based on the quality of the leaf we're, I mean our leaf is our strength it's not about the vast majority of people don't know who Eduardo is and if they saw him in the store they wouldn't know who he was uh and more people probably know who Kyle is quite frankly than Eduardo and, and, and cigars um and so and so that's just the you know it just depends on on the approach and and certainly Again, it just depends on the situation. Right. You know, it, some people are more uh, important to that to, to that overall uh, <clears throat> understanding of the brand than 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 in other cases. And and it can be successful and it'll be successful in the future. Um, but sometimes it's it, it's less uh, it's less a part of it. All right, Terrence. Um, uh, I mean, I,
3: I, ha- I have a better hmm. I have a better example of that hmm. actually listening to this that I think personify it a little bit better. Let's 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 take brand owners out of this, and actually let's let's look at this like in terms of like living in un- or an untruthful like living in the cigar world. Let's actually look at cigar uh, quote unquote influencers who found a way to make money or get free product online. But like you you talk to them and you look at them, and they actually really don't understand mm. what they're doing or, or or what they're smoking or or anything like that. And they only smoke cigars that are given to them or they're paid to advertise you know, I think, but people personify them as like someone as of importance in an industry, but in reality, they can't tell the difference between Seiko and Viso or Liero. Right. You know, like I, I think that people are forgetting that in terms of like in social media and believe me, I see it all the time because those people, those people constantly tell me that I, I, I need them and I need them Mm. to, to market their cigars and that they have a reach that's far beyond mine. And like, you're like, do you actually, have you ever stepped foot in one of the countries in which you smoke cigars from? <laughs> like, do you actually know like what you're like, do you know that process and what's involved in it? And, and and like, no, you still see them. And you know, it just seems that something is not organic about you just from the way you're holding a cigar and the way you're trying to communicate with me, like you're dropping the most common lingo and you don't really understand like what's going on and, but you're only smoking cigars that you promote. Right. And like that, that's the hard part in today's world. And which is a beautiful thing from, from the social media aspect is that social media has that grasp, but you know, that's a persona that is an untrue persona. And I believe that that that's where the difference comes in between brand owners who are just being themselves and creating a product. And then you have people who just do it for a monetary gain or, or they're trying to have a, 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 a social media, uh, following. I I mean, it's just,
1: yeah, I was, I was thinking about, uh, Kyle, I was thinking about getting a face tat and some nose ring, a nose ring, maybe like a (laughs) whatever
3: whatever you can use to market yourself. That's different. (laughs) That's fine. You know, like, and you know, it's just, it's, but in reality uh, that that's my viewpoint on it is that, you know, most brand owners are are just being who they are and that's the beautiful part. There's so many different personalities that go to this industry and the the one thing that happens is if you put us all in a room together all brand owners and all that stuff and blenders is that we're just going to end up talking about tobacco and the crazy crazy nights we've had in nicaragua or the dominican or all the crazy flight stories we have of airport bullshit or or whatever the case may be (laughs) you know so like that's 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 the crazy part is like we That's when you know, like when you start talking, like, have you really lived it, been on the road, gotten your miles in, got your Delta back? You know, you're fucked up back from sitting (laughs) in the Delta seat so much, you know, like they probably don't. They sit at their house with a with a with a with a light and they just open boxes and that's it.
1: I I would say, Jordan, uh, the the biggest evolution I've ever seen in a cigar personality uh, is probably Matt Booth.
3: Oh yeah. Uh, um, you know, Matt yeah. Booth
1: Matt Booth is you can see this evolutionary process happening.
3: like in <laughs> real time.
1: In real time. <laughs> before <laughs> our eyes. Is just,
3: that hair is just getting and, so long.
1: And now Matt, I'm I'm it almost it might sound like I'm saying that he's he's he wasn't uh, authentic before and now he, that isn't what I'm saying. I'm just saying he is just going through some sort of evolutionary process in his personality.
0: Well, I mean, I think we needed that stage in the cigar industry. It, it went, started with like Rocky Patel maybe, mm-hmm. and then built up to, to JD and Matt Booth and Robert Caldwell. And I think that that's come back down now to, to an extent. Now, it, now Kyle's right. It's now it's just more just the dudes that know tobacco. Right.
1: All right. Uh, Terrence, uh, this is the last segment of this, uh, uh, future of cigars. We're talking about. I'm going to go into cigar distribution, the evolution of cigar distribution. Here we go. Uh, Direct to consumer versus online retailer versus the brick and mortar shop. How do you see Terence this evolving and changing? There is definitely stuff happening. Like first, first of all, we've seen you know major major companies buying up brick and mortars. I think uh, through fear of the fact that maybe the online retailers might suffer uh, uh, regulation through the government. And so then we've also seen companies doing direct-to-consumer, which uh, Kyle does some, so we'll talk to Kyle about that as well. But Terrence, how do you see the distribution of cigars evolving into the future versus you know looking at online retailers versus brick-and-mortars versus direct-to-consumer? Talk a, a little bit about that, Terrence.
2: You know, I I, I don't think I, I have a really valid opinion on it. Um, we kind of take the world as it is, and right now it's still very much the th- you know kind of the 3 tailor system: the distributor, the retailer, and the uh, the consumer. And we, we haven't really evolved out of that. Um, it still it still works for us. And and again, it, it's for for, for us. It, I think we we we're, uh, we're not thinking too much about that to be honest with you. Uh we, we if if something changes or the regulatory environment changes or we have to do something different then we'll and obviously we will we'll evolve but we're kind of dedicated to the system as it, as it currently is. All
1: right, uh Kyle, now you you dip your toes into all three of these uh realms. And so maybe maybe you'd have a an interesting uh perspective on on this. Talk a little bit about uh this Online retailer versus brick and mortar versus direct to consumer how do you see that evolving
3: Well I mean it's already starting to evolve um, in terms of all of those channels. I believe that you know as as the world goes on um, you know the online presence of, of an online shopability in every industry across the world not just tobacco has gone. You know, directly, you know, online online retailers are growing at a rapid rate. Brick and mortar are still growing, but they're also dwindling in terms of like the smaller, smaller mom and pops. You have a larger um, foothold in terms of like large, large conglomerate uh, brands buying up brick and mortar retailers. I believe there's two plays to that. One is for the business and one is actually if they're a standalone building, they're doing the McDonald's uh, business model and actually buying the land um, hoping for something down the road. Um, and I saw that, I saw that far when that first started going on a few years ago, um, I called that was a land play because a lot of them were just absorbing and buying, you know, single buildings with their own parking lots. And you're like, well, that's your own piece of property, um, in cities and in areas that were rapidly growing in terms of population and real estate costs. So that that's one play you can do in terms of, you know, brick and mortar and distribution. Um, you know, that's always there. Obviously we have our family of retailers across the world and, you know, obviously we do dip our toes in terms of direct to consumer, but we don't sell any of our brands that we currently sell to retailers. None of them are for sale in, uh, and through any of our online channels. So you keep that so, separated. They're separated. Yes. Like obviously with drop, well, you have nothing that ever touches a brick and mortar location. Um, and you know through shop Warp, do you have anything that touches a brick and mortar location do you, you know, uh, Kyle, came...
1: Kyle, do you get any blowback at all, even though they 're separated, and even though the product is different do you get do you get some blowback at all from uh brick and mortars or online retailers that you do offer direct to consumer at all
3: uh, no actually uh, in in dull truth of reality, they actually buy the cigars mm. um they at full retail and they just either want to smoke them or they try to upsell them whatever they want to do that 's their business. Um, I came from a time frame where I saw long, long ago that you know the trend of of online retail and, and how it's going to go. And we're in a in a very unique situation in terms of tobacco that there is no three tier system like there is with alcohol. So we're allowed to sell to anyone who we want to, as long as we have the appropriate state license and then we follow each individual state law and do the reporting, however it may be through the regulatory process. And you know consumers love it. You know it allows them to buy a product you know directly from us for our experience. You know, we can give them a different experience, but anything that drives the factor of, of, you know, consumers going to the local shop and and driving Warp's name into the shop, which drives the can. Well, do you guys, you know, have, you know, cigar brand that I bought from them directly? Like, no, we don't. But we do have GR88, which is the number three, you know, ranked for 2019. Oh, well, you know, I'll take those. We don't really get blowback in all honesty is I, I just believe that everyone is understanding that the world is shifting. And, you know, we've, we do a very good job of making sure that we don't sell what we sell to retailers directly to consumers. I create new concepts and new projects. And I think like, I think maybe two shops years ago brought it to my, brought it to my attention and I had to, you know, as any business owner would, you know, and they bring up that conversation is, you know, they're like, Hey, like you're doing this. And I'm like, do you sell Davidoff? (laughs) <laughs> and they're like, of course I do. And I'm like, do you know Davidoff sells every single SKU they have online directly to the consumer? Mm. And they go, no, I didn't know that. And I'm like, well, yeah, they've been doing it for years. So like any limited Davidoff that you think that you had to spend all that money to get to, you could, the consumer could have bought it directly from them without a problem. Could have been at the door in two days. Right. You know, and I think that you, know, you just need to have that balance with your retailers and be like, I'm not selling your GR88 or your La Hacienda or your Corto directly to the consumer. So I come from a different world in terms of how I grew up and how I saw business from my first business and dealing directly to the consumer. I started selling cigars in my original part of the industry directly to consumers. And I love that because it allows me to interact directly with them. It allows me to create concepts and you know has a different outlook. And I believe that down the road, more brands will do that. And I believe that for a specific reason is because when this regulatory thing from the FDA comes barreling down and you have to go through SE reporting and all of that, they're going to need, they're going to need funding. They're going to need that. They're going to need higher margin in order to pay for the regulatory process. You know, now how, how each shop and each brand respectively go about that, that's their business. But for us, you know, we're wholeheartedly supporting our retailers, you know, and everything that we send them is, is exclusively theirs. And, you know, we haven't, you know, we have to understand the world will evolve one way or the other. And it's, it's either like, I think COVID was a good way to do it. Like you had brick or mortar locations that never once had an online presence. And then all of a sudden they were scrambling to get an online store up right. and running because they never believed in online. And that's the way that commerce is going. You know, in terms of, of being able to procure things, which is why you start seeing so many brick and mortars making beautiful experiences and beautiful online shops now. And, and their business is growing at a rate that they didn't have before because they, they've taken the leap into this new world and this new technology and the way that consumers you know, shop. You know, so it, it's ever evolving, you know, and I just believe that there's a balance to be found with everything. Every industry in the world, I can buy Gucci from Gucci direct, or I can go into Bloomingdale's and get Gucci.
1: Right. Mm. All right, Kyle. Uh, one of the biggest uh, ways to distribute cigars uh, to uh, the online retailers, the brick-and-mortars, is through the uh, trade shows. Uh, we have the TPE. We have the PCA. Uh, give me some of your thoughts on the future of the, the, very, the two main uh, American, at least in the United States, trade shows what are your thoughts kyle on tpe and pca what's the future for these guys
3: well tpe i can't speak on it. i've never been there um i've never i've never attended it so i can't really speak on it i heard from from industry people that i i trust that it was a it was it was great it was well done it was affordable which i think is the most driving factor against the pca the pca makes it incredibly difficult to make it budget friendly um in terms of uh of a retailer and then obviously. You know, there's people out there who expect, you know, brands to have these elaborate booths, um, which I think you saw at this year's trade show was the way to go. The booths are getting more simplistic because it's solely about the product. Why do I need a tower that costs, you know, $30,000 to stick two boxes of cigars in it? And, you know, in reality, the trade show attendance is dwindling because every single retailer (laughs) mails out their show deal before the PCA. Everyone gets their revenue before that. And there's other than to shake hands, talk and catch up. Um, which is what we did at this year's trade show. Obviously, we had no product on display. We just had a booth set up for people to come by and say hello, grab a coffee, have a cigar, and catch up. You know That, I believe, is here to stay. Um, I believe that that is not going anywhere. If anything, I believe that people will come down a little bit more from what they did this year in terms of booth design. And that's why I kind of like TPE, too. I heard that it was the the original TPE, the first one, um, that people just had, you know, it was one area where people just had a very simplistic booth with their name on it. And that was it. There was no elaborate designs or anything like that. And that makes it more affordable for brands because I mean, just to give you an example, it cost me a thousand dollars to have one outlet to charge my guys phones for three days. Mm. You know, like it's crazy. Like you're, you're dealing with these union places, costs are going up and all that stuff. And PCA as an organization, they have, they have a lot of faults. Um, They're losing a lot of money. And you know, I think they need to to figure their business model out. Kyle,
1: do you plan to be at TPE or PCA next year?
3: On um, TPE, I'm contemplating. Um, I'm not. I'm not, you know, set on it. And PCA, I'm not. I'm not set on either. So you're up in the air. All
1: right, uh, yep. Terrence, uh, thoughts on uh, the trade shows in the future? TPE, PCA. Are you still there, Terrence? Did yeah, you, I'm still here. Sorry. Did, you, I'm did, like you fall, did, did you fall off my- the side <laughs> of, the <laughs> <laughs> of the building? I mean.
2: Oh, my God. <laughs> back. Here, hang on a second. Here. We're almost done, Terrence. Just
1: hang with me just for another 10 minutes. Uh, don't jump off, ledge, yeah. don't <laughs> jump
2: off the ledge,
3: buddy. Don't jump off the
1: ledge. My
2: phone's dying. So I, All right. Yeah. We're almost done. I don't know. It's th- dying. Th- Thoughts on
1: TPE PCA real quick.
2: You know, uh, PCA, I, th- I thought, uh, was a good start for the future uh, it wasn't it wasn't what you what you would want um you know for next year necessarily uh but certainly with with the conditions that they had i thought they did a great job um, and it was was an extremely successful sh- show for us so we did great and uh, it was the best show we actually ever had as a company so in that sense it was great and just in terms of the long term they've just got to make some changes um, and then tpe uh, again it, i think it'll bounce back I think it was it was a good show in in may I think it would have been a home run had there been no covid and there it had been in January um, being in may is the first trade show period after covid um, in Vegas I think some people then go out for that and also it was close to PCA most most retailers aren't going to go to both two shows in Vegas that far apart um, so it was a great it was still a great show for us and like Kyle said you know we can get a small booth it's a, the cost of being there is very low for us so it was successful um so again we're I, I think both of them have a bright future
1: uh Terrence do you plan to be at TPE and PCA next year in
2: 2022 yes yes we do both all right.
1: all right this is the final question for both of you thank you guys so much for your extra time we went an, an entire hour late but this is the final question Terrence Riley how do you keep up with the ever-changing palette of the Premium Cigar Smokers palette. Obviously, it does change. We see this all the time. We see uh, waves of uh, uh, stronger Connecticut's. We see waves of San Andreas Maduro. We see waves of Cameroon right now seems to be the hot thing. How do you maintain and keep up with what you imagine the palette is and the demand is from the consumer? How do you do that?
2: Hang on a second here. Why is the speaker off? We hear you. We there hear- we go. I can hear you. I can hear you. Now
3: we can't hang
1: see on. you. I can hear you, uh, but we can't see you. Well, that's right.
3: Hang on. Jeez. There we Pause on okay. here. I'm back? back. I'm back. I'm back. I'm back. Okay. You're back Sorry. on audio, buddy. We can't see you. you have that beautiful that's okay. Face. You just you can, just, oh, no. you can, you can here, answer.
1: You can answer. We don't need to see your face. We we know how there, good. There we go. We know how good looking you are.
2: Uh, keeping up with the palate. The the question was to keep up with the palate of the the consumer now.
1: Right. Exactly.
2: Yeah, I, I mean, it, you just listen. I mean, you go in shops, uh, you hear what people say, uh, you you hear how people, um, you know, react to di- different blends and different brands. Does social media to,
1: does social media play a part in that?
2: Yeah, no, I I th- I think it does. I think again, I we tr- we play a uh, very active role in social media, and it's a great way to hear what's going on out there and both social media and, and stores. And again, you, you want as many voices as you, as you can get. Uh, social media obviously has a huge, huge role for us. We, we attribute a lot of our success to it. Um, it's also ultimately, again, it's not tree overall. Um, so you, you can't rely on it solely when, you know, when you have the production levels that we have. Um, but, but it's just a matter of listening. We're listening to you guys, listening mm-hmm. to our consumers, listening to our retail partners um, and seeing what they have to say. And, and again, we're very confident because right now um, what we're doing seems to be the style that is that's popular. And, uh, and so, you know, I, I think it's just a matter of one, listening uh, and then two, uh, getting that message out there that, hey, we, we've heard what you've said and our cigars fit what you're telling us.
1: Uh, Kyle, what are your thoughts on that? How do you uh, maintain uh, staying abreast with the ever-changing palate of the uh, premium cigar smoker?
3: Um, it, I, It's ever-changing, you know, constantly. But, like, I think in reality, like, I hear all the time, like, oh, you should make this size or this size and this size, and then you actually make it, and then it doesn't do that well because the size. <clears throat> So for us, like in reality, we just stay true to who we are and, you know, we just create cigars that, you know, we always the way we always have. And we just kind of stick that way. We don't really listen to trends or anything like that. Like you were saying, like Cameroon's getting hot or or whatever the case is. You know, my my vision on it is is always very, you know, blinded on. Like, I don't really know what's going on around me. We just Mm. concentrate solely on what we do at Warped. Um, and you know, sizes, if you look at our history, we're in a set, you know, path of sizes and, you know, so we just we, we listen and we see what's going on. And historically speaking for Warp, we tend to actually do the opposite, um, about what's, what's popular. And, uh, we just, we just stay true to who we are and that's worked for us this entire time and what we'll continue to do. And our sole concentration is on, you know, quality, consistency, and making sure that we have cigars that you talk about in 2021 and 2020, 2031, 2041, you know that ours is is you know down the road. You know we're we're not looking you know to next year. We're looking five years, ten years, fifteen years down the road. And you know there's only a certain set amount of sizes you can create, blend styles. You know that's ever changing because you know you know varietals change. Like I can't wait to go try this 2012 Corojo um, in Nicaragua, see how it's going, you know? So we just, we go with what is, you know, kind of presented to us by mother nature in terms of what it gave us in terms of tobacco that year, its flavors. If it, it was a drought, if there was too much rain, you know, we just blend around that. We don't, we don't follow the trend or anything like that. All,
1: All
0: right, right, boys. boys hold, on. hold on. Wait, wait, wait. Real go quick. Ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Aside oh. from you guys' own blends, do you think, the market just continuously wants stronger or will there be a cyclical effect where we'll go back to uh, mm. you know more mild profiles again It's just always what's the next medio tempo like is or can we revert back?
3: Um, in terms of reverting back like I believe that does it anyway like if you look back to you know when uh, what like seven years ago when 60 started to come out and then people want smaller sizes now, people want stronger and stronger cigars. Well, there's a point that the strong cigar gets so strong that you get nicotine poisoning Mm. and you know, you can't handle it or it's just too strong. And you're like, I can't have that. So like, we just always just blend for balance, you know, rather than, than following that. But I do believe that the industry goes in, in shifts. It will go one way for a little bit, one way for another, a little bit. And, but in reality, People always go back to Coraline. They know that a hacienda is a hacienda. They know that a corto is a corto. They know that a supreme leaf is a supreme leaf, you know. And they they're looking for that consistency.
1: All right, boys. I can't thank you guys enough for taking an extra hour uh, on tonight's show. I was Told sure you. I was sure yeah, that we, we could. We it. I was sure we could do this in sixty. <laughs> well, we didn't minutes. do three hours. That's okay. We didn't do three hours. But uh, uh,
2: <laughs>
1: Kyle, <laughs> Kyle, uh, Kyle. I'm gonna start with you. warp uh, for Warped fans. Uh, tell Warp fans uh, what's what's coming up. I know uh, I talked to you at PCA, so I know what's coming up. But tell uh, the fans of Warped uh, about the new cigar and and what to look forward to in the next you know coming months.
3: Well, we have Chinchale launching in August. Uh, it's the first cigar we created in the Dominican Republic. Um, you know, it's 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 a Dominican cigar, but it has like you said, it has that Warp signature to it. Um, and we're super excited about that. Working with Hostos and you know creating a different avenue in terms of warped in terms of its blends and offering that that expression of dominican tobacco just our way um obviously this year we have Skyflower coming out and we have lilia rojo which is our annual you know december release and then uh new blends uh i'm going down next week uh, or august 1st i'm going down Uh, i got a bunch of stuff to work on for for new and that's pretty much what's coming out for warped
1: uh, fantastic, uh, Terence! Uh, tell uh, Leaf fans what they have to expect in the next uh, month or two.
2: We've got uh, the next size of Supreme Leaf uh, Torpedo, six by 54 I smoked that. Nice. It was
1: fantastic. Thank you very much.
2: Oh, my pleasure. Always, I'm always yeah. there for you. Even even, <laughs> even when you send the B team to interview me, I, I want to get into that. Right. Oh no! Shut, shut
1: up, Terence. <laughs> keep going. Keep going.
2: <laughs> uh, and and, uh, and so that'll be shipping uh, in. the early part of august and then we also have our anniversario maduro line which we're excited about one of those sizes was exclusive to pca attendees and the other size was exclusive to our agonorsa select partners um and uh and that is again i'm not actually a maduro guy much myself but it, that's one of my might be my favorite blend we've ever done i mean i, mm, I love wow. that blend wow. that just got so much chocolate to it and and just rich and flavorful without being aggressive and and uh, you know when we did it last year uh, with the 109 head, it was excellent, and uh, we're really excited about the short Churchill and Toro sizes we have coming this year.
1: Wow, fantastic, Jordan! What a show! Wow, we covered so much. This this show had so much meat on the bones. You're welcome. Like there was there was <laughs> there was so much meat on the bones of this show. It was incredible. Like I got to thank uh, both Kyle and Terrence for taking the time. Hey guys, Wednesday night, I th- Jordan, I think we're doing the. Um, Davidoff Escurio with a margarita. Yes. That's Wednesday night at 9 p.m. Robbie and Randy will be uh, pairing those. Next week on Smoke Night Live, I will have Eric Espinoza and Nick Libretti on the show. We'll be talking about the Turtle 2, Psychedelic Turtle 2, which is coming out August 6th. So I thought we'd have them on a week before to really talk about this project how it came to be, what it's all about. I think you guys are going to really, really freaking love this cigar. It's amazing. So that's what we'll be doing next Friday night on the show. Hey, as far as tonight, Jordan, it's Friday Night Herf. We're smoking. Let's let's share what we're playing. We're smoking. We're drinking. We're sharing it on the dojoversecom We're having a good time. Uh, don't forget to enter the contest, which is incredible, to get a chance to win one of ten boxes of Camacho Imperial Stout Barrel Age. So until next Friday night, remember, never smoke
0: alone. We'll see you guys next week. I mean, is it fast? Oh, it's fast. What about the options? What about the options? It's got all the options. But like, what about price? It's got to be expensive. Not expensive at all, man. Jared's got the greatest deals on cigars and accessories. Check it out. Oh, wow. Look at these. Oh, look at that deal. It's a good price. What are you guys doing with my car? Your car? I thought this was your car it was your car. Why would it be my car? I don't know. It's not again. We'll get out, but I'm taking this with a JR on the go. No matter whose car you're in, JR Cigar is there for you.